Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring the 19th, 1997. From the high desert in the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening or good morning, as the case may be, across all these many time zones in the nighttime, stretching from the Hawaiian and Tahitian Island chains, out west, all the way east in Caribbean, south into South America. Good morning down there. And north to the pole, good morning up there. This is Coast to Coast AM, and I'm Art Bell. This night we are going to do many things. At 11 o'clock, or the beginning of next hour, we will talk with Gordon Michael Scallion. It has been about a year since we've talked to Gordon. It would be my guess he'll spend uh, only a couple of hours with us, uh, but we'll see. Uh, that is uh, that is his... Uh, present condition he's not uh, very strong and but he's got something he wants to get out in other words uh, he would have actually put this off for several months if he could have put it off for several months the information is so uh, dire and um, uh, so necessary for it to be out now that he is coming on the air despite the way he feels updating you on another situation Daniel Brinkley the news is not good He's had another setback, I'm sorry to say. Uh, Danyan has a new aneurysm. And this time, um, he is bleeding from an area under his brain, uh, putting pressure literally on his eye. Now, the, um, the holes they drilled literally in his head to relieve pressure uh, did their job for the aneurysm's that he had uh, but this new one um, is not draining through the holes that have already been drilled so the pressure is building he's had some blood pressure problems and um, you know it doesn't look good and he can certainly use your prayers and I got a call about a half an hour uh, I think prior to airtime tonight about his current condition he's now unstable again and I am far from being a brain surgeon as you well know so I cannot tell you the implications of you know the present difficulty how big it is I do know that they're unable to give him uh, any clotting um, medicine as a matter of fact he normally takes Coumadin which thins the blood because of his heart valve. So, again, what keeps him alive appears to be killing him, and the late news is not good. And I was ver very much afraid when I left, uh, though there was some jubilation, of course, about what they had accomplished in the operation they did, that there were going to be additional complications so I am not surprised, but I am certainly saddened um, by this development. Uh, maybe somebody out there who does know uh, the implications of that area and aneurysm in that area. Now, the upside is, of course, he is presently in intensive care. So if you're going to have an aneurysm, uh, that's the place you want to be. In other words, they are close at hand. Uh, the very best help available is close at hand. So that is an update on Danyan. I will keep you informed. 
I had a photograph of Danian up on um, my live studio cam for about 24 hours, and I would presume a number of you got to see that. The high-resolution 35-millimeter photography is, uh, is in, and I will scan it and get it up over the weekend. I'll get it on the web page, so you might want to watch for that over the weekend. And one other thing. A Danian uh, recorded on videotape his goodbye. And I've got that. And I surely hope that I don't need to play it for you. But should the occasion arise, if Daniel does not make it, I will play it for you. And uh, he was very circumspect about it all. Very circumspect about it himself. Life is very short. And my advice to all of you is to make of it what you can while you can, because uh, actually you're all here for a cosmic blink. All of us, except maybe those immortals who call from time to time, the rest of us uh, mere mortals are here for a very short time indeed, and it brings home the lesson that you should use your time wisely. That's your Daniel Brinkley update. I wish I could uh, say it was a better one. An Air Force B-1 bomber crashed in Montana, killing all four crew members. Uh, this uh, means now that uh, there have been uh, six U.S. military crashes, air crashes, this week. And that seems like too many. A very, very bad week for military aviation. A Vice President Gore has hired private lawyers to help him deal with mushrooming allegations involving fundraising practices from last year's presidential election. You know, phone calls from the White House, that kind of thing. The spin the White House is putting on this is that it humanizes Gore. <laughs> it makes uh, the otherwise uh, stiff-spined, always-sitting-at-attention Al Gore more human. And that is an interesting way to try to spin this. So I wonder if this is uh, out in 98. Diana's bodyguard cannot remember a thing. He was due to talk, uh, bodyguard Trevor Reese Jones. Uh, but he has nothing to talk about because he can't remember. And it may be that our brains do that, uh, particularly with respect to short-term occurrences, they just sort of reject them. Uh, at any rate, it does not look like at this time there will be any information coming from um, uh, Mr. Reese. Uh, Reese Jones, I guess it is. Here's an interesting item, particularly in view of last night's program. Four nation talks in New York on an agenda for Korean peace negotiations broke down Friday after famine-stricken North Korea 
uh, persisted with demands that U.S. officials said were simply unacceptable. Washington blamed North Korea for the failure of the discussions, part of a series between the U.S., China, South Korea, and North Korea, to hold a formal conference in Geneva to forge a permanent peace agreement for the bitterly divided Korean Peninsula. U.S. officials said the sides failed to reach agreement on agenda items because North Korea linked food aid to the talks and demanded the U.S. stop, or rather uh, begin now, troop withdrawals from South Korea. There are no plans for new talks. Ed Dames last night suggested the first use of a nuclear weapon would be the North against the South in Korea. Just thought I would uh, bring that to your attention. Uh, the strongest satellite evidence yet of a powerful weather-disrupting El Nino shows that a warm-water mass off South America's Pacific coast has now grown to one and one-half times the size of the continental U.S., according to NASA. The warm mass was only two-thirds its current size four months ago. Now, there was some uh, argument with a climatologist I had on the air who suggested the El Nino was indeed continuing to grow. And you may recall some who said they were expert called in and said, no, 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 the math, the counts are all showing it's getting smaller. So here you have now evidence, not only is it getting bigger, but it is becoming the biggest they've ever recorded. In another indication of El Nino's powerful hand, water vapor measurements from yet another satellite are providing signs the southwestern U.S. could get pounded this winter with Pineapple Express storms crossing the Pacific from Hawaii. Uh, so there you have it. Um, there is now proof from NASA, from satellites, that indeed this is the most powerful El Nino ever recorded. And by the way, it continues to build now. Let me read you what Gordon Michael Scallion, who will be here next hour, said to me when he faxed me. He's got a new book, Art. Uh, you will find enclosed a new copy of my book, Notes from the Cosmos, A Futurist's Insights into the World of Dream Prophecy and Intuition. I think you'll find the chapter on the awakening to be the most interesting subject, one that both you and I have discussed previously. I have appreciated your ongoing support of my work and your desire to have me appear on your show. Again, during the past year, I've been trying to restore my vitality and complete my book prior to the great changes I see on the doorstep here in just a few months. I now feel we have something of value to share with your listeners, dealing with the activities that are now going on in Montserrat, as well as the phenomenal ocean temperature rise globally. Part of me is totally amazed that the world is not focusing on the cause of the current El Nino. For in my opinion, 
it is much more than El Nino. In my opinion, we are very close to global cataclysmic events. While some might say the current weather changes are indeed that, I see these only as precursors to a shift in the magnetic field of Earth as well as a disruption of the tectonic plate system. So we will be asking Gordon Michael Scallion. It'll be good to hear his voice again uh, about all of this next hour. Now, I am booking some guests that I think you're going to be rather interested in. Uh, for example, coming Monday is Boris Said. Boris Said is going to blow the literal top off what has been going on in Egypt with the shore expedition. He has been at odds with the shore expedition now for some time and has been unwilling to talk. This has been, oh, I guess, going back uh, at least a year. And he called me yesterday and, well, today as well, and said, that's it. I've had it. I'm ready to talk. And boy, do I have a lot to say. So, Boris Said will be coming up this Monday. Now, next Friday night, uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, this is one I know a lot of you have been waiting for. And I hope we can get it on the air without incident. My guests will be Gene Huff and Bob Lazar. I wonder how many of you know who Bob Lazar is. Bob is a physicist who worked, he says, at Area 51 and back-engineered craft that were there. He will describe these for you. He saw them. In some cases, he was inside and actually worked on them. Bob Lazar is not going to be doing radio interviews after this one for quite some time. And they will uh, give you the reasons for that, so you're not going to want to miss it. That's Friday night, Saturday morning, uh, the 26th. So I'm working on that and some other bookings, and that's kind of an update on where things are. We will go to open lines here in a moment until the top of the hour. Again, I wish the news I could give you on Danion was better. And I would say your continued prayers for his recovery can't hurt. There does certainly seem to be something to the power of prayer. Whatever that something is uh, would provide a wide field for argument. But I think the fact of its effectiveness is not arguable at all. Now we take you back to the night of September 19th, 1997, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Well, all right. Uh, my book, as you know, The Quickening, more relevant now than ever, ever, ever before, 
is available nationwide in bookstores. You can go into just about any bookstore and ask for The Quickening by Art Bell. And, you know, I just don't understand some things about life. In some ways, these are the best and the worst of times for me. And I really mean that. The absolute best and the absolute worst. So many things have happened, some that I have told you about in the past in my private life, that um, are threatening and tragic and things I can't really talk about. And now there's Danyan on top of that and some other things that I, I just really can't talk about, the very worst that you might imagine. And at the same time, the very best is occurring. This program's growth has been non-stop and looks like it will continue that way. The book I wrote, The Quickening, is on the bestseller list and headed up, up, up. I've got a magnificent uh, trip coming up uh, to a very exotic part of the world, the virtual cradle of humanity. Uh, so it's a kind of an odd thing, and I've been doing a little bit of thinking about it of late. The best and the worst of times, they seem to come, you know, together. Maybe that is my manifest destiny, I, I don't know. But it is interesting, and I'm sitting back almost as a dispassionate observer at times, and I begin to wonder, how can this be? the best and worst all at once. Kind of strange, huh? I'm going to do one book signing. One! <laughs> it will be in Encinitas. It will be October 25th at 10 o'clock in the morning. 10 o'clock onward. And I would love to see you there, Barnes & Noble. They're at uh, 1040 North El Camino Real in Encinitas. So you might pencil me in uh, if you get a chance, on your calendar, and I would love to sign a book for you. I do warn, that is the only book signing I am going to be doing for The Quickening. And as last night, Daniel, this is for you. With no peace of mind And I'm ready for the time To get better Just listen to the words, it kind of fits. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 19, 1997. I've got to tell you I've been racking my brain Hoping to find a way out I've had enough of this continual rain Changes are coming, no doubt. It's been a too long time with no peace of mind, and I'm ready for the time to get better. You seem to want from me what I cannot give. I feel so lonesome at times. I could live It's been 
Somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 19, 1997. Just seems to fit somehow. Daniel, damn it, get better. He's uh, he's not doing well, and uh, once again, he's, uh, I guess, on the critical list. So all the prayers you can muster up would seem appropriate. Anyway, it's going to be open lines from here to the top of the hour, and then Gordon Michael Scully in a voice you've not heard in a very long time. And in just one moment, we shall begin. Now we take you back to the night of September 19th, 1997, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Now, to our lines. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello? Yes, turn your radio off, please. Oh, yeah, this, this is Art. Yes, turn your radio I, off. I, I did. I'm glad to have uh, been listening to your show for a while. Since January, I got my third shift. Worst I work in third shift. And I heard you advertising that you, saying, rather, uh, on when you were talking to uh, Stan Deo, yes. that you might be getting some uh, suppliers of... Uh, pure, uh, of water purifiers? Yes. Do you know when you'll be starting to do that? Well, of course, we have had some on the air before, and we are investigating getting some back, yes. Okay. So all I can say is soon. Okay. Do you, do you know if they will be filter-type purifiers, or might they be distillers? Well, I don't know. We'll look at both. Okay. I've you know, it's one of the things that people ought to have on hand. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I have, I have storable food, and I continue to store and vacuum pack. Good for but the you. One, the one nut that I cannot crack is the water thing. And uh, filters are nice, but they eventually break down and clog. Mm-hmm. And I've been looking high and low. In fact, I went to the Thomas Registry of American Manufacturers, uh, of, of manufacturers who make distillers and also um, survival equipment. But I haven't been able to find anybody who makes a water distiller that does not require electricity. Okay, I will see what I can find. In the meantime, as you well know, there are chemical uh, purifiers. Right. And you should have those in stock. I see. All right. Okay, sure. And I'll be waiting for your show tonight. I record it. Well, you don't have to wait for my show, sir. It's already on. Oh, I know, but I mean, I'm going to be waiting for uh, Gordon, <laughs> Gordon Michael Scott. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be good, I think. I've never heard him talk before. I've only heard rumors about him. All right. Well, the rumors end tonight, and you will hear Gordon. Thank you. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Oh, good evening, Art. Uh, this is Warren in Portland, Oregon. Yes, sir. 
No, I've been wanting to get through for quite a while here. Uh, I know you've got an interest in Atlantis, and I wanted to offer a suggestion for somebody you might want to get. All right. Uh, a gentleman by the name of David Hatcher Childress. He's written uh, a whole series of books on ancient cities and lost civilizations. Do you have a contact number for him? I'm, I knew you were going to ask that. Uh, give me a second here. It, no, no, uh, no, no. Don't give it on the air. Oh, okay. But I mean, by I email. I have a telephone number for him. I can give you references that could probably put that, you in contact. That's fine. With uh, anything you have would be great help. Just email it to me or fax it to me or send it to me in a letter. Oh, drat. Okay, I'll have to send it snail mail. I don't... Uh, that's fine. Okay. And let's see. Oh, the other one, the cataclysm topic. Uh, it's interesting. It keeps coming up because I've got some thoughts on it myself. I make no claim to being a uh, great clairvoyant or anything like that, but every now and then I get nudges myself, and I keep coming up, hitting something coming up. Uh, I know. Somewhere around 2004 is what I keep getting, but I can't get a picture of it or anything. Well, uh, I'm, you and I are exactly alike. Uh, thank you. I, too, don't know, but I keep getting glimpses of it. Interesting way to put it. There is something out there, something coming, something looming. You can feel it, can't you? But you can't quite put your finger on it, and I am not Gordon Michael, nor am I Ed Dames. I just know it's so, and that to me makes it all the more powerful. I am not a psychic. I am not a Danian. <laughs> East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, yeah, um... Yeah, this is Brian from South Carolina. Yes, Brian. Uh, yeah, uh, I'd like to say real quick, uh, my prayers go out to Danian and all. Boy, he uh, sure needs them. I know it, man. It sucks. Uh, but I think you'll be all right. Um, about what I called for, the y'all gave the number for the technical remote viewing? Yes. Uh, do you Do I have it? That? No, I don't. Okay, uh, could you, like, uh, rebroadcast the show over the weekend or something? Uh, as a matter of fact, yes, we will. It will rebroadcast Saturday night, Ooh. Sunday morning. Cool. Well, I appreciate it. Um, on another note, I think the uh, big event that everybody's talking about, Yes. it looks to me like it's like pieces of the puzzle. Everybody um, has like one piece or another of the puzzle, and it's just a matter of everybody getting it put together. Like somebody over here has one like perception, and somebody else has another piece. Mm -hmm. And nobody's really wrong. But I think, you know, if we all got together and just said, well, okay, instead of, you know, hammering on everybody else, um, let's just say that, you know, I've got this piece, you've got that piece, let's all put it together, and we'll see, you know, kind of get, you know, like a glance at what's to come. You know what I'm talking about? Here's somebody who wrote a question for Gordon Michael Scallion. Dear Art, this is a question for Gordon Michael Scallion. There seem to be as many different visions for the future as there are visionaries, but the common thread to all of them is that something very big is about to happen, indeed is happening. Mm -hmm. Mother Mary, through Annie Kirkwood, has said she feels that we have been given a reprieve. Is it possible that several different scenarios will be happening simultaneously and that perhaps we each turn into a different channel, so to speak? Kathy in Blue Lake, California. So she is essentially saying the same thing, that uh, the words are different, the visionaries are different, but there is a commonality to all of them. Oh, yeah. 
I think so. You have to forgive me. I'm a little bit nervous. I haven't talked on the radio before. It's all right to be nervous. I'm yeah, nervous, well. too. <laughs> I hear you. Hmm. Um, well, I appreciate it. That's all I really wanted to say right now. Um, I'll probably be calling back again later. Take care. All right, cool. Appreciate it. Right. All right. Uh, from South Carolina. Sure. Don't you feel it? That's where my book, The Quickening, came from. The fact that I felt it. And the reason I wrote it, I think, is because people would say, well, it's communication art. You know, it's all the instant, it's the Internet. It's the networks. It's television. And we're simply hearing about this more frequently. And so the book was necessary to quiet those and prove them wrong. And it does that. So if you want to read it for yourself, get a copy of it. And try and deny the documentation within, in every single uh, important area of human endeavor, we are obviously racing toward an event. On my international line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art. It's Rob from Alberta, Canada calling. Is it Hi. Lines? Hi, Rob. Lines? Yes, it is. Fantastic. I'm just wondering about um, if you can help me out with this, this habit that cats have that I'm curious about. Okay. I'm wondering why cats will come up to you and rub themselves on you to get their scent onto you so you smell like them, right? Yes. But why is it that as soon as we pet a cat or touch a cat, their first instinct is to clean themselves to get our scent off of them? Isn't that kind of a double standard? No. You don't think so? No. Uh, they are claiming uh, you, in effect, as their territory. When they put their scent on you, they're claiming you as their territory. Okay. When you put your scent on them, you're, in effect, trying to claim them as your territory. Mm -hmm. And they are offended. Mm -hmm. So they don't think it's rude being double standard, eh? Well, <laughs> I don't know if, if rude would be the appropriate term to uh, apply here. I think it's just something they do. That's the way cats are. You belong to them. I see. Uh, they don't uh, belong to you. Do you have any tips about um, bringing a new cat into a family? Because I think you know that if you were to bring um, a kitten in, um, I mean, it throws the hierarchy of the cat's world into into chaos. It does, and they, yes. and they hate you for it. I know. Now, I heard one time that what you're to do is to bring the kitten in in a box, and you put the box in the middle of the floor, and all the cats come in and you introduce all the cats to this box, and then somehow open this box slowly so the kitten can find its way out. That way they don't blame you for bringing this kitten in. It just appeared out of this box. <laughs> Have you heard anything about that? No, uh, but that's an interesting idea. In other words, you're saying they discover it themselves. Right. Like you, I, I didn't bring it in, so they're not going to get mad at me. They're not going to pee all over my clothes anymore. No? <laughs> you sound like you're going through cat hell. No, I'm not. I, I do this once, and I want to do it again. I want to get another cat in here, but I don't want to go. How, how many? Out. How many do you have? I have two. All right. Uh, bringing in the second one when you have one is very hard. Bringing in the third really changes the d a dynamic in a way that's better. So okay. you have less to worry about with number okay. three. Okay. okay. So, so the box idea probably would work. I, I, it'll, it'll I don't know. A, yeah, it'll add a safe zone into this thing. Give it a try. Well, thanks a lot. All right. Take care. It is worth a try. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. 
Hey, Art Bell. Yes, sir. Hello. Hi. Wow, I've been trying to get through for you for so long. Well, here you are. Uh, where, let where... me turn my radio off for All a All right, here. please do that. And uh, then also tell us where you are. Uh, yeah, I'm calling from Columbus, Ohio, actually, right now. All right. And uh, I was wondering, uh, I just heard a caller in that called about the cats. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I, I do think that's kind of a funny thing uh, coming in. Uh, that's an interesting call. I know you get a lot of... Uh, so, you run just kind of a free forum? Sure. Okay, that's cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm staying overnight at a friend's house. We've, uh, we sent you a fax not too long ago. Um, About what? Hmm, uh, I can't remember exactly. <laughs> we had you... Uh, you sent me a fax and you can't remember? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. You, 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 this is commonly known as mind wipe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're talking about. You, you get on the air and then you totally forget why you called. Well, you know, I, here's something I'd like to know. Um, okay. Have you ever talked to JC again? JC has not called in in quite a while. So uh, the answer is I have not talked to JC, I would guess, for about three months. Hmm. Oh, you've got your radio on, don't you? Uh, oh, it's that is a disastrously bad idea. <laughs> Good grief! It's very confusing. Yes, it is. Okay, you got it I off. Would, I will agree with you on that. Do you have it off? Oh, no, you don't. All right. Well, I, I'm going to have to move on uh, if you can't get your radio off. There we go. You got I'm it. Better off now. Okay. See, you don't want to come on the air and sound silly. And when the radio's going, you'll sound silly because you hear yourself six seconds Right, later. and it's like, what the heck's going on here? Yeah, that's right. You always wonder what's going on. Anyway, you're on, so what's on your mind? Uh, well, I, you know, I uh, listened to a bunch of the JC calls, and I really got a good kick out of that. And uh, I was wondering, did he ever... Um, did he ever mention anything about, uh, I never actually heard him talk about the commandments. Of all things, I never actually heard him talk about the commandments. Well, I think he more or less accused me of breaking most of them right. uh, without quite uh, quoting them, but you are correct. Right. And uh, <clears throat> something that I did think was funny, uh, the new revelation, what happened to the old one? I don't know. Where the heck did that go? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Don't ask me to comment on J.C.'s logic, because I don't, I don't follow it. I appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. Um, I, don't, I never did quite follow his logic. Uh, J.C.'s God is a very angry, punishing God who would send you to hellfire and burn you eternally. That's J.C.'s God, a very fearful God indeed, not my, uh, my God. But there's only one God, Art, and you're going to burn. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art. This is Matt from Madison, Wisconsin. Yes, Matt. Uh, I'd like to talk about the uh, Phoenix Lights and what Ed Dames had to say about them. All right. I've uh, been listening to your program for about four or five months, and uh, I frequently go to your AudioNet page on the web. Right. And uh, there's a particular show from July 28, 1997, about three and a half hours into the program, you receive a call from Jim Dilatoso at Village Labs. Yes. And uh, I was wondering if that is, in fact, uh, who Ed Dames suspects to be the culprit of the, the hoax. 
I have no idea. He, he didn't name anybody. He didn't name you. What, what are your opinions on that? About who it is? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say. Okay. You know, I mean, the libel laws that... would prevent us from uh, saying somebody did it. Okay. And also, uh, and I, I, I don't certainly don't think uh, Jim Delatoso is the one. Jim Delatoso does not run a um, laser light show. Okay. And I, I think that's the... Ed Dames was talking about somebody who r ran a laser light show. Wasn't oh, he? I see. Okay. That's the way I recall it. Okay. Um, I also like to ask you about the uh, the uh, recent military plane crashes. What you think is going on with that? There was another one tonight. I know. If, if I knew, uh, I would tell you. Okay, great. I'm sorry. I, I can't help you out. A B-1 went down in Montana. Yeah. It's I been a very bad week for military aviation. I was, just went to Ellsworth Air Force Base a few months ago. saw the, the B-1 flight line. And? Yeah, just a, just a comment. That's okay. pretty interesting. All right. Well, thank you very much for the call. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Very, very, very bad luck for military aviation. Now, these things seem to go in cycles, both civilian and military aviation. And for a long time, everything is okay, and then suddenly the roof caves in. Why that occurs, I don't know. It's like life, the good and uh, the bad all at once. Why? East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Well, hi, Art. How are you doing? Fine. Where are you? I'm in Ohio. Okay. You know, I've been thinking about these lights up in the sky that everybody's been talking about. Yes. You know what I think they are? What? If you think about it, Art, it has to be something with the earth underneath the earth. And when those little round lights glare up in the sky, you know, it has to be pressure from the earth. Why does it have to be? Well, it has to be gas. Why? Because that's just the way I feel about it. Because it's you, mean you, you, you mean you think it's gas? Yeah, I, th I, do, I really do think that it's gas. Okay, and might be, it think, might be. And I really do think, Art, that in those parts of the world where they're seeing those things, those are going to be the parts that are going to have the worst earthquakes. Think about it. Well, yeah, I wouldn't rule that out. In other yeah. words, if you're right about A, then right. you, you certainly might be right about B. I might. Now, are you ever going to have anyone on your program that is an ask, that does astronomical reports? That does what? It, uh, they're called professional astrologers, and they do ask, astrono astronomical reports. You know, have you ever heard of those people? You mean like when you call up and say, hi, I was born on so-and-so? No, 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 no. This is a guy who does a chart. On what? On on your on your whole, from the time you were born till the time you die. Yeah, I, sure. Are you ever going to have anybody like that? Never. Never. No, I, I, I don't. I don't like it. It's kind of like uh, it as I just said. People call up and say, "Well, I was born on so and so and so and so at such oh. and such a place and time." And um, there was one program that had it on there. And I I'm, I'm sure to... there is. Uh, yeah. There's a lot. But I know. You know what it does? What does it, it do? It bores the hell out of people. <laughs> yeah, bores them. In other words, if you're the one getting, you get through and they read your chart, yeah. then it's very interesting for you. Right. And very boring for everybody, everybody else. else. Yeah. You're right. That's a silly thing. 
Well, You're it's a great guy, Art. <laughs> I appreciate your call. Thank you. Um, I was even he- hesitant about James von Prat. He is a very gifted uh, psychic. But giving individual readings on the air, I have always thought to be a very non-productive, uh, very uninteresting thing for everybody else except the one getting the reading. Now, when you're talking about psychics uh, or visionaries like Gordon Michael Scallion, it's a horse of a different color. And that horse is coming up right after the news. This is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 19th, 1997. Presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired September 19, 1997. All right, coming up in a moment, somebody I haven't heard from in a long, long time, Gordon Michael Scallion, and he's got a lot to say. Now we take you back to the night of September 19, 1997, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Uh, here he is after a full year of not talking to him. Uh, Gordon Michael Scallion from New Hampshire, right, Gordon? Correct. Boy, it's good to hear your voice again. Good talking to you, Art. Um, as a matter of fact, I have got the large version, Gordon, of your um, future world map in my proud little spa room that I built for my rotten back. And uh, it's, uh, it's very sobering to look at every day. <laughs> Uh, Gordon, I know you're here for a very serious reason. I know you're not doing a lot of interviews. I know that you've been sort of out of it for about a year. Uh, so, first of all, tell the audience, if you would, why you've been kind of out of it for a year. Um, there's so much energy that uh, that a person has, um, and the energy I'm speaking about is... Um, is, is psychic energy, energy where you're uh, tapped into a, a higher level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't understand what was happening to me. Um, I know that in '96 um, I received uh, nonstop visions for almost six weeks. Um, I wasn't able to drive, wasn't able to do much of anything except um, allow these visions to happen. 
And they all pointed to 1998, um, which is not an unfamiliar year to me, as you know. Yes. Um, that was the, the signal time for my predictions um, going back to 1979, indicating that between 98 and 2012, we would see a different world, uh, both geophysically as well as spiritually. Um, my hopes and thoughts were that uh, as we become uh, more aware, as the awakening um, expands, that we can alter the timeline, either modify it or reduce uh, the events that I was seeing in the, in the late 70s. Um, so I was being prompted to try to complete uh, a lifetime's work in a year, and that was to release the future map of the world and also to complete uh, my new book, Notes from the Cosmos, which summarizes all those predictions and gives the warning signs and tells how and why things are going to happen. And so I, I was being driven by that. At the same time, um, these, uh, stimulating all the, uh, my intuitive senses, um, it created um, massive uh, physical problems with me, headaches, um, being able to, uh, not being able to, uh, to sleep well. And it wasn't until... Um, a good friend at the uh, Edgar Casey Foundation uh, sent me a letter um, with a sampling of a reading done for Edgar Casey, where he was uh, going through a similar thing and was told that if he did not stop or at least pace himself better, that that he would give up his life. He would literally die. Yes. He was unable to do so, and, and he did die shortly thereafter. And um, uh, seeing that reading um, allowed me to. Uh, to decide that I needed to um, to literally withdraw, take a year off, um, complete only the, the book project, and not take on any new things. Um, slowly but surely, over the past year, I have uh, gotten my vitality back. And then um, about six weeks ago, um, a new series of visions occurred, which prompted me to, uh, to contact you. All right. Um, do you know Daniel Brinkley? Do you know of him? No, I do not. Okay. He is a very gifted psychic. He was struck by lightning. Oh, yes. Okay. I am familiar with that. And now, all of a sudden, click, click. Uh, Danian uh, just had brain surgery. I went back to see him back east uh, the other day. I spent a couple of days with him because he's in very critical condition. When he was struck by lightning, he, too, had visions. And I'm reminded of you because, and I think we ought to tell the audience your story a little bit, because so many of them will be unfamiliar with, you, you know, what happened to you, Gordon. Um, but there was a traumatic event that caused the beginning of all of this for you so long ago. So if you can give us the, the short version of uh, Gordon's beginning, uh, Psychic Visions 101, uh, that would be great. How did it all begin for you? began in uh, 1979, uh, living in uh, Florida. Uh, actually, at that time, I was living on a sailboat in and uh, having a consulting business on land uh, in, the, in the communications field. And one day, uh, in the middle of a presentation, uh, my voice box um, locked up, um, and it was like somebody had removed my larynx. This was a very important business presentation for you. You were up talking to a bunch of... Uh... There were educators who were about to um, purchase about a quarter of a million dollar um, video system, uh, for the, the school system um, of and, Florida. And you were so, presenting that, that whole uh, system to them? There were, 
yeah, there were the uh, two of the main, two of the people who had been through several meetings, and this was the final meeting, and this was the final presentation meeting, and uh, it was pretty much of a shoo-in. It was a case of just going through the, the, the final formality, and, sure. uh, and, the, and the, the revenues from that particular sale would have enabled me to spend another six months sailing, because I would go out sailing for six months and then come back and work for six months. Um, and right in the middle of the key point, of the presentation, my voice just stopped. It was like someone had, like I said, had gone in and surgically removed my my throat, my larynx. There was no pain, uh, but there was also no guttural sound. I couldn't force wind from my lungs, for example, to make a grunting sound at all. Um, Must have scared the hell out of you. Uh, at first, it, 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 it happened so so fast. It was like no warning. Uh, that I, it was more of the look on the face of the purchasing agent. Uh, he turned white, and later I learned the reason is that just before that, um, a relative of his had had a stroke, and it was a very similar effect where he reached for his throat and chest and then fell to his knees. And so for him, I was replaying uh, his worst nightmare. Um, for me, I didn't know what was happening, but when I saw his face, and him turning white in his reaction, then that, I, I panicked at that point. Then it scared you. I understand. Uh, so there you were at the podium, not a word coming out. I take it they rushed you off to the hospital. Uh, they brought me to uh, the uh, an emergency uh, wing where an intern came out at, at the local hospital. It, they didn't rush me because there wasn't any kind of pain, um, but I could only write. Uh, so there was a period of five or ten minutes, perhaps, where I was, uh, they just sat me down, got me water, uh, patted me on the back, uh, you know, rubbed my shoulders. Um, they did call uh, for emergency help. It took about seven minutes for them to get there. Uh, they did some really quick checks, you know, looked at my eyes and see, and breathing. And um, by this time, I was probably more numb than anything, uh, just not really knowing um, what was going on, and with that, um, half hour later, I was um, in the emergency room of, of the local hospital um, with uh, you know two or three people looking over at me and, uh, and checking me out. And so for the next hour, um, they were asking me questions, and, and I couldn't respond. And they just uh, another doctor would come in and look at me, and um, they did um, an EKG on me. They did. Um, uh, took immediately, took some blood work, um, took an x-ray, um, and they kept asking me, are you all right? And, and I would write on a little piece of paper that uh, I can't talk, I can't talk. You know, what's happening? You know, what's wrong? And I felt that they were keeping something from me. Hmm. Um, but they didn't know what was wrong, as it turned out. So they admitted me uh, for it and said, look, we're going we're gonna to run some tests for you, and we're going to monitor you um, here, and we're going to keep somebody here with so for the next hour or two. Uh, I had people right with me, and, and nothing had changed. And so uh, then probably around 10 o'clock or so, 10 p.m., they, they uh, checked me into a room, and uh, I was in, in a room by myself. And, um, again, there were still some people there. Um, they finally came in, and the doctor came in and said, look, at, uh, we're going to run a whole series of tests. We're going to monitor you very closely here. And, uh, you know, and, and then that, they left. And so... I was sitting in there. By this time, I had calmed myself down, um, and uh, you know the the inputs I was getting from them is that they were going to have to run some tests. Uh, but I was hearing words like 
Um, I, have you been stressed? Uh, do you have any? Have you had headaches? In uh, mm. uh, it, so the, the kind of phrases I was hearing between the doctors talking either with me or about me, you know, seemed to indicate to me that they were saying, you know, that th- this is um, this was more of a, of a mental thing rather than a physical thing. That that was the sense I was getting. So I had gone through the fact that. I don't think it was a stroke. I didn't feel it was a stroke. Um, but they were all pointing to psychological things because the questions kept coming up about that. You know, are you, are you taking drugs? Are you, uh, do you drink? Do you, are you stressed? Um, is there anything in your life that's a problem right now? Anything you want to tell us? Nothing like this had ever happened before. Never. Never. I was, uh, you know, I don't know if you've been sailing, but uh, I had a, a 30-foot sailboat, and uh, it's just a beautiful experience. It's the most stress-free experience that I can think about. And I would sure spend is. months at a time, you know, sailing to different islands. And, um, you know, I, I didn't lack for anything at all. So there was nothing that I could think of in my life that was wrong. But I sure was reflecting very heavily uh, that night while I was in the hospital. And and I was writing notes down because I said, I've, I've got, I know in the morning that I'm going to be talking to some doctors and I better write down all the things that I'm thinking about and maybe sure. that'll help them. And I'm trying to use my... Sure. My technical background, and and then, you know, then it really started about eleven eleven thirty, at night. That's when the phenomena really started. Which was? Um, I was watching uh, uh, the news, local news, waiting for Johnny Carson to come on, and just as that big man got out and said, uh, "Here's Johnny." Uh, at that moment, the room itself uh, kind of lit up. There were. Uh, Sparks and glows of light. Um, um, I describe it in some great detail uh, in my book, but as a capsule of it, it, it was more of uh, seeing lights, and these were uh, purplish in color coming out of the doorway. Uh, so in the room, uh, on the right-hand side, there's a glass door where the nurse and doctors enter and exit and guests. And so I assumed that there was some kind of equipment out of the hall that was showing this light in. Sure. But as I was looking at this light, the light got brighter and brighter and brighter, and finally, uh, the light was so bright that I could not see the door. At this point, I still think it's coming from the door. Um, but all of a sudden, I look up, and now the room is, is a mass of a rainbow of colors, and it's, they're, their colors are uh, its like a mist and a fog, and, and they're moving. And, and then all of a sudden, out of this mist, I start seeing pictures. Um, strange uh, symbols, uh, almost uh, hieroglyphic. Um, and it was like watching uh, 3D holographic images because there were multiple scenes, and wherever I would look in the room, I would see a different scene. And um, at this stage, it's happening so fast that I am not fearful of this, but I have no idea what's going on, and I'm still thinking it's some kind of a phenomena. Um, but it's so fascinating what I'm saying. My consciousness doesn't lock in and say, wait a second, where is this coming from? Is this in my head or is this really happening? Um, and just as I'm thinking that, a woman's face appears out of this mist, which is at the end of, at the end of my bed. This is an elderly woman, perhaps in her uh, 70s, looks like a, a school teacher. I, I might have had when I was in first grade. Um, had this silvery hair. And uh, her lips are moving and she's saying things. But I cannot hear her. Uh, at the same time, I'm seeing her face. I'm, I'm seeing images now of ancient cities 
and I'm seeing images of cities that seem to be uh, in some form of disarray. Uh, I recognize some of the cities uh, being New York and Los Angeles, and I catch those, but the rest of the cities I'm not sure where they are. But they're in some form of disarray. I see buildings that are crumbled, and um, I also see images of strange flying craft, and uh, I see comets in the sky, and you know, the images are just nonstop. So it's, it's like an arcade where all these machines are going off. Finally, I hear in in my inner hearing, I hear what she's saying, and she says to me that what you're experiencing now is you're you're you have entered the time stream. And you are now a dream voyager. You are seeing clips of the past and, and the probable future. And remember these. Um, and, um, and, that, and she just repeat that. And then she said a lot of other things. And I, I took notes down from what she said and some of the things that she said. She said some of these things will happen very soon. Other things won't happen until you get into the year 1985. And then in South America, there will be an event in Mexico City that will start things going that will change the world and then 1998 will be a year where uh, the greatest experiences that the planet has ever seen will occur and remember these events and this continued for 30 minutes exactly because uh, at 12 o'clock when they went to a break all the images disappeared as if somebody had turned turn a switch <laughs> and went away uh and I take it you could monitor that or know that because there was a clock or because Johnny Carson went to break at midnight. Correct. <laughs> um, at that point, did your voice return? No. I still, um, I still didn't have it, but I, I, never, I never thought about my voice until, until the images stopped. Uh, there was a point in that scenario that was going on where I panicked, dug my heels in, uh, backed up in the bed with a, in, in kind of a terror, and then I, uh, I had two IV bottles, one in each arm, and they began swinging. As I went to reach for one, the nurse call button fell on the floor. Uh, I stabilized the two IV bottles, and I got through the event by thinking, I know what this is. This, this is this is the chemicals they have in the IV bottles. This is what they're giving me, and I'm having some kind of a reaction to it. Sure. And that's how I got through that time period. But my voice was still gone. Um, I then went to bed um, perhaps 20 minutes later, uh, woke up in the morning, and immediately said, wow, what a dream. You know, what an effect. I remember it was, it was the, uh, the, the drug. The, I'm having a, a chemical reaction. Sure. And then I looked over at my notepad, and here it was. I had, like, pages of notes about the event. I said, oh, God. I said, this, you know, <laughs> this wasn't a dream. This is, this is hallucination. Um, and then with that, the nurse came in. And she says, geez, she says, oh, I, uh, how are you doing, Mr. Scallion? And I answered her with a clear voice. And she looked at the chart, and she said, I thought you couldn't speak. And I said, I, you know, I was, I was dumbfounded. I just said, <laughs> I guess I'm okay. Can I leave now? I just wanted to go. She says, well, the doctor will be in here real soon, and he'll check you out. And, um, and so he came in, and I, I proceeded to talk to him. And I said, you know, I said, by the way, I said, you know, what was in those IVs? Sure. And he said, well, you came in, you were very dehydrated. So we had to give you, um, you know, glucose. Uh, so there was nothing in there. And then I really sank. My stomach just sank because it, I then felt that, you know, there was something really mentally going on with me. And, and then he said, we're going to give you some, some tests today, and then I, I might have you see a specialist. Mm -hmm. As soon as he said the word specialist, 
you know, the bell that went off in my head was not an eyes, ears, and nose specialist. He was really talking about, you know, a psychiatrist. Sure. Um, so I, I went through all the tests, and then at, at the end, they said, we can't find anything, but we're going to su suggest that you go see this doctor who indeed was a psychiatrist. And so I um, was checked out of the hospital, and then when I went out of the hospital um, midday sometime, uh, looked outside, and everything looked different. The colors that I saw was different, and I was seeing colors around people. Morris. Uh, yeah. Well, I didn't know what they were at the time, but first thing I saw was this dog. I remember clearly there was an Irish setter dog playing with his, with his owner, and I could see the different colors. And so I go, I went back in the hospital. I said, wait a second. I said, I can't drive. I said, I know I had trouble with my voice. I said, but now I've got trouble with my eyes. I said, you really need, I, I can't drive, and I was almost getting panicky. So they then sent me to another place. I had to wait another couple of hours. They gave me an eye exam. They said there was nothing wrong with my eyes other than I was, you know, a little nearsighted. Um, and then they said, look, you know, you really need to see this other doctor. So I went out. I did see the doctor, and he said, well, he says, we're going to have to spend some time with you here on this. And so I began a series of, uh, of sessions, and after the, the second session, I knew that this was not a, a path that I wanted to go on exploring um, because uh, he was in total denial of what I was saying. I said, I think we should look at these notes. Oh, of course. It's going to be the very last thing that he's going to think. Uh, Gordon, we're at the bottom of the hour, so hang tight. We'll be right back. My guest is Gordon Michael Scallion from New Hampshire. And we'll be back in a moment. There's a lot ahead. Stay right where you are. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell, somewhere in time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 19, 1997. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 19, 1997. It is, and I'm back. And in a moment, Gordon Michael Scallion is back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 19, 1997.
right, back now to Gordon Michael Scallion in New Hampshire. So, anyway, Gordon, uh, and I spoke to you for a second uh, during the break about Dan Brinkley. Um, he had visions uh, very similar to yours, has them. Uh, as a matter of fact, he regarded them as sort of a half curse, uh, half blessing, as much of a curse as a blessing at times, so overwhelming. Uh, he, he would literally hear what people were thinking, uh, see visions. Uh, he was unable to stop them or moderate them, particularly uh, shortly after the incident. And the incident, though different, is very much like yours, extreme trauma. And uh, I, uh, Daniel lies close to death in a hospital bed uh, this morning, and you don't. You moderated yourself somehow, and if he lives through this, he's going to have to learn to do the same thing, or he's not going to make it. Uh, would you have any advice for somebody like that? It's a hard thing when you, um, um, you know, reading um, Edgar Casey's uh, source reading on that on this particular subject uh, gave me, um, you know, great courage to to do. Uh, something different, something that Edgar was unable to do at the time. Um, when you're seeing things that are that are affecting um, not only people you know, uh, but uh, people you don't know, and then on a planetary scale seeing things, um, it, it it acts as a, an incredible responsibility to to unless unless you try to go into denial, which I did do for for a couple of years. Um, but once you look at this. You know, you have a choice. The choice is that you can probably, um, you know, go into drinking or, or go into drugs, uh, do whatever you can to, to stop these events. Did you, you? Did you try that, by the way? No, I didn't. I, um, um, I've never been able to uh, to do either of those things. Um, um, as soon as this event happened to me, uh, 24 hours later, my whole diet changed. I wasn't able to eat or drink or do any of the things that I would have done even socially. Uh, so it's like something altered my whole uh, makeup, my whole cellular structure began to change immediately, hmm. uh, and it proceeded that way for for almost a year with constant changes, in, especially in my my sensory abilities to, to sense things and to uh, you know smell. All of my senses were heightened, uh, plus senses that I didn't even know I had. So when you start looking at all that stuff and you start getting this kind of material, then you want to do something. It's like it's like you're you have a vision and you're seeing a train wreck. For example, uh, your first impulse is is denial that you know this is not going to happen. This is this is just some kind of fantasy. Then, if you allow the, the event to happen, as, as my case was, I, I allowed several events to happen before I did anything about it. Then you feel this deep uh, guilt and remorse for not having um, taken some kind of an action, and then. In my particular case, um, I grew up with a very strong uh, Catholicism background, and um, church was a daily experience for me uh, growing up. And so, you know, I began to search for um, things that in my background that would explain this to me. Uh, everything from, you know, the devil on one side to, to, to God on the other side. I mean, I, I swung the pendulum back and forth. What about your own sanity? Did you question it yourself? Uh, the first uh, three months of the experience, um, the doctors I had visited pretty much convinced me that that there that 
there was a, a, a loose cog and you know that there was a, that I did, had a problem and the only thing that that kept me at least from making that commitment to them to uh, you know I mean they, they were suggesting well maybe we should go on some kind of medication and I'm saying you know there really is nothing that I, that's wrong with me I just want you to keep looking at these notes and they, and they would never once look at those notes and, and I would look at them, and then I would see events happening, and I would say, well, look, at, look I told you, look at the notes, look at this, this happened. And, uh, and they said, that's not the issue. We really need to go back in your life. And uh, <laughs> So finally, after, after three months of that, I, um, I said, this is not going to work. I need to, I need to explore someplace else, and I decided to put my technical hat on and, and, and literally do my own research work, and I spent the next um, year and a half uh, exploring alternative you know, started reading and, and, and visiting alternative practitioners, and um, finally, I, di- I did get somebody who was willing to look at those notes. Um, very gifted uh, dream analyst, and was suggesting that perhaps I was having just dreams. Perhaps these were like daydreams. Mm-hmm. So we began dream journal work, and then um, you know, one day she came and uh, plus she was an MD first, and she was a, she was a psychiatrist, but she was also a dream analyst. And so one day she said, um, tell me about your dream. And I, I told her that this very detailed dream. And she said, well, she says, let's try something new now. She says, why don't you tell me what the dream means? And hmm. I, I said, well, I don't know how to do that. She says, just do it. And, and within the next half hour, uh, what I thought was a half hour, I analyzed the dream. Well, as it turned out, it was several hours. And, and she never said a word. And she said, uh, she says, I don't know where this is coming from. She says, but she says, not only is it the way I would have approached it, she says, but you've uncovered things that I would not have even thought about. And she said, uh, let me work with these notes. And that was my first encouragement that something, it was another realm to, to the world of mind, that mind was more than we think it is. And, and it, it was my first ray of hope. And now my next path was, what am I going to do with this information that I'm seeing, especially these things that are going to come up in 1985, and my next date was 1989, and then the magic year 1998. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still, you know, it's entirely possible, Gordon, that you did suffer a physical brain trauma that they didn't pick up on. Uh, if there's anything they don't know a whole lot about, it's our brain. Mm-hmm. And you may not have had a stroke in the classic sense, but I'm, I'm sure you have not ruled out the possibility that there was some physical, actual physical change that occurred in your brain at that moment it's it's totally possible and and because uh, i know that um at that time you know i didn't go through an endocrinologist i uh, you know there's no cat scan there was no right you know, there were x-rays and there were blood workup and there were you know things like that and the normal tests that they would do so anything was possible in fact in the early days it would have been a preferable answer for me i could have accepted Almost anything that was a physical thing going on that would have made my life uh, a whole lot easier because I would have then I could have hung on to something. I could say, okay, maybe they can fix this thing, you know. But then they were saying it was it was my my mind, and then the question is, well, you know, how do you fix a a mind? You know, is, is, you know, and they're saying years and years of therapy. Sure, therapy, of course, uh, very expensive too. Yeah, I, I went through all of my savings in uh, in about a year. Oh, you did. Oh yeah, I. Uh, it was um, it was thousands upon thousands of dollars that I had spent, and then and then 
I just began liquidating things so that I could explore the alternative. I wasn't able to work because while the visions happened that night, they didn't happen again until perhaps another, oh, maybe it was six months to a year after that point when they they returned. And, and, but they would return as flashes. And then over the next, uh, by up to 1982, these flashes then the Emerge where I was seeing something very similar that I was seeing into the hospital. So it was like I had this massive release of energy, and then over the next several years, very slowly, little things would happen, and I would see a fragment of a vision. And then after several months, the, the fragments would kind of string together a few seconds long. Um, and and then by 1982, uh, the same thing that was happening in the hospital was happening in my awake state. I, I could be sitting down reading or listening to music, and they would start. And then I then began to work with, uh, is there a way of controlling this? Because it got to the point where I couldn't drive. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Was there any way to control it, or did it just come on um, irresistibly uh, without any way to lessen it or stop it, or, in other words, totally uncontrollable? Uncontrollable. There was uh, up until 1982. It was. It would just happen at the most unopportune times. Um, it would just. It would just happen. Um, and then in 1982, um, through um, uh, the meeting of, of um, a doctor, or two gentlemen came to see me, um, and I didn't know at the time, but one of them was a doctor, and um, came. And they, these were men in their, probably in their, their late 60s or 70s, and. Um, dressed in, in business suits, and, and they they sought me out and said that they were given my name, and and I kept saying, well, who who gave you my name? Nobody knows who I am or where I am, and and, sure. and, and they said, well, we know that you can uh, do things. We know that you can uh, communicate with spirit. And I said, I, I have no idea what you're talking about because I didn't know the language. I only knew that I was having these experiences, and I certainly wasn't telling anybody about it. Especially, you know, my family knew nothing about this, nor nor did Anybody, you know, the, the only people who knew anything about this up until '82 were were people who were uh, that I was paying money to, you know, the physicians and the the, the, the practitioners and the counselors. Um, and they, um, he kept encouraging me, and 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 he probably was the catalyst for uh, developing a kind of control because he sat down with me and he said, "Look at," he says, "My friend here has got a problem." He says, "I know if you just hold his hand and you do this and this and this, you'll be able." And I said, "I." I I had no idea what he was talking about, and I really just wanted them to leave. But you know, one of them, one of the men looked just so tired and frail, and the other one was just was, was so had so much compassion that neither of them represented a threat to me. It's just that it my own personal ego was was being shaken. You know, the, the the thought that somehow I could help somebody where where I was at the point where I said I'm seeing things that I can't control, I can't stop, I can't help any, I can't help myself. I certainly can't help anyone else. Sure. And, and through his prodding, uh, over the next half hour or so, I was able to uh, turn a vision on that would indicate something that was uh, functional for him. And it, and it was my first medical Edgar Cayce-style diagnostics. And then we learned how to, uh, over a period of the next several months, uh, we learned how to induce deep uh, hypnotic trance states where the creator of all of this imagery that I get um, reside, and it was there that we were able to, to to do so. So to me, it was okay. I can't save the world, but maybe I can make a difference in a few people's lives. And then 
Um, we did li- well over 10,000 of these uh, sessions between 82 uh, up until 91. What did you perceive was wrong with that man? Um, he was... Um, I, I kept seeing the, um, pools of mercury and, and, and little vessels of mercury, and I, I kept seeing visions of a, dunt, of a laboratory, which I assume was a dental laboratory because it had teeth on it. And as it turns out, he was a, a technician who had worked in this laboratory um, in, in, the, in the New England city for uh, 30-some years. And um, what he had developed was, was some form of a mercury poisoning uh, that the the over the exposure to this over time uh, was totally uh, um, was actually causing him to die and uh, and 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 they had been to, to doctors he had been everywhere and and they simply said that um, you've got some kind of a of a of a problem with your immune system that we can't we don't understand what it is and we we don't know what it's about and and his friend who brought this man kept kept saying I my friend here is is, is dying and um, and so when I, I said mercury and I said the teeth and I said, um, and he said, well, now he says, what can we do about it? And then I, I, my next series of visions showed um, different things that he could take. And, and it, it was mostly herbs and, and there were two or three items that I didn't even know what the names were. And uh, he wrote them down and, uh, and he left. And, uh, and on, on the way out of the door, I said, you really need to go see a doctor. Uh, you, you don't need someone like me. I said, I don't know what I'm talking about. And he looked at me and he put his hand on my shoulder and, and patted me lovingly. And he said, uh, he said, son, I am a doctor. <laughs> he says, this is my. And three months later, they came back and uh, his cheeks were rosy and he was healthy. He says he's scared and he says thank you. And he says we're going uh, touring. We're taking the rest of our life off. And they went off to Europe. And that was the last I saw of them. Um, and then you did a th- how many of these between 82 and 89? We were doing about six a day, uh, seven days a week in between 82 and, uh, and 91. Um, and then there were some larger groups that we did, like once a month we, we'd do a very large group where we might have 50 people and uh, we would simply go around the room for you know, a one-question kind of a response. Um, I was limited to no more than about 45 minutes in, a, in, a, in, a, in an altered state. Yeah, I was going to ask, even then, was it taking a physical toll then? No, no. In fact, um, there, was some, uh, there were some benefits to me uh, at that time. I was sleeping better. Um, the headaches went away. Uh, the, the daily headaches uh, from 79, that first experience, up until the time I started uh, working with people, the, the, the main pressure headaches went away and, and my health uh, just rebounded um, and I was warned at the time that you know that I should limit this but you know the list would get longer and longer and and um, hard to refuse yeah and and then and then by 89 I was uh, I had totally exceeded uh, by a hundred percent what I what, what what my inner guidance had uh, very specifically said do on this thing and, and said certain times of the month that I shouldn't do it, uh, certain uh, times of the year with certain key um, lunar uh, and solstices and I shouldn't do it. And there was a whole regiment that I should do, the certain things I should eat, um, and I was um, I just wasn't following that. And so um, by 1989, uh, I started really noticing um, changes, and then by 91. I had an abrupt change. It was like everything came to a halt. It was like 
I couldn't stop. So some part of my consciousness simply said, that work is through, this is your next amount of work. And so those stopped, and instead of seeing individuals, I only saw the earth as a as a living entity. And I began seeing the same kind of physical problems with people I was seeing in the earth. And this, this was like a whole new thing to me, and he just didn't, you know. With people, it, it, there's a possibility for change. If somebody comes, if you can say, you know, just stop eating this and, and you'll, your headaches will go away, mm. or, or stop thinking this and your headaches will go away. That's something you can control. But you, you look at something, the scale of the earth, um, you know, going through these changes, and, and the warning signs that were, you know, talked about how by the time we got to the late, um, the mid to late 90s, that, that the oceans were going to boil, the temperatures were going to, uh, the oceans were going to exceed, and the Antarctic was going to start melting, and, and the Caribbean would become active with volcanoes, and the Philippines, and there was all these, all these things. It was like, well, how do you fix that? I mean, how, how do you do that? And I didn't know how to do that. I just didn't know. I was, it was, it was over, I felt like I had gone back to the, the day after I had lost my voice. And that's, that was, that took me up to 1991 at that point. And at that point, um, a whole new series of, of kind of visions occurred about, about what we could do then. And, and every year, other things we could do right up into the, the year 1998. All right, that's a, a good place to break. It'll be a good long break, so relax, and when we get back, we'll get into the meat of this. Uh, Gordon Michael Scallion is my guest, and I have long said, uh, if there is a real McCoy, then you are listening to the real McCoy. That's Gordon Michael Scallion. I think that's what I said the last time I had him on. He'll be back after the top of the hour. Uh, we'll be joined then by Los Angeles and... I will give you a warning now that what you are about to hear you may find very disturbing. If you have children listening, I would suggest you exercise your own parental judgment and control and possibly have them leave the room. And as a matter of fact, even you, if you're disturbed, twist the dial. From the high desert, this is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 19, 1997. Somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 19, 
1997. My guest is Gordon Michael Scallion. It's been a long time since we've heard from him, and uh, we'll get back to him in a moment, and it's going to get pretty serious, so the eternal warning. This is serious stuff coming up. It may disturb some people. If you're disturbed by this sort of thing, please tune out. Please get children out of the room. Now we take you back to the night of September 19th, 1997, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Well, all right. Uh, Gordon Michael Scallion has told us pretty much the story of how his psychic ability began, how his intuitive sense began with a physical, what I believe to have been a physical change in his brain where he literally lost his voice, then over a period of years began to have uh, the ability to uh, diagnose medical problems in people. He saw auras. I'm remembering, uh, Gordon, a couple of other things you said. You said there was a period when you saw, geom- uh, in the colors, geometric shapes. Do you recall that? Yeah. Yeah, that... Um, um the whole experience um, in the hospital was, was, was 30 minutes, and, um, and I, I go into some detail in, uh, in notes from the cosmos describing that, but, but in essence, you're right. They were, they were uh, shapes. They were formulas. There were uh, symbols that I, some symbols I understood. Uh, there were other, uh, other shapes, um, not just uh, triangles, but they were dimensional uh, uh, shapes like uh, pyramids back-to-back, uh, or or a a triad back to back, and it was almost as if they were. This was some kind of a language, is what I felt it was at the time. And later learned that's exactly what it was. I was literally being being awoken to tapping into the universal consciousness, where where language is not as we know it necessarily. Language can be mathematics, it could be color, it could be sound, it could be anything. And so I was being shown all of that as as a as a preparation work. Okay, so we rush for, forward now to the 90s, and then I remember in one of our old interviews that you said you began to see things, uh, a good analogy would be that there would be three television screens, um, one on each side, one in the center, and that one would be brighter than the other with regard, when you began to see whole earth visions, one would be brighter than the other or more likely to occur than the other two, not ruling out the other two, but uh, the one that was the brightest uh, with the most contrast in color would be the one that would be the most likely path that would occur unless something intervened, some change occurred. Is that about right? That's exactly right. And uh, the fidelity of the color uh, would indicate something to me. The grayness of the color uh, would indicate uh, something entirely different. The brighter the colors, the more intense the colors, the sharper the images, that was the most probable reality. The grays, washed out colors, would indicate that they were. It was. A, it was probably. You know, that was not going to be the path. It was always three. I never saw two. I never saw one. It was always three. Um, and you, you always interpreted those to be possibilities. Yes, they were. It was like looking at if the path continues this way. Like if I looked at somebody back in those days, and I saw a grayness. To them, I would it would indicate to me that if you don't change, 
then the outcome is going to be this, which you, you will get sick and, uh, and maybe even pass over. Um, I can see that person a month later and look at those visions again, and, and it may change. So with individuals, it was really, they had a lot of control over their life. So that's when I learned that nothing is predestined, that it's only when the collective consciousness decides something or the individual consciousness decides something hmm. that determines you know, what we might call fate. All right. Well, I recall a series of visions that you had that, I've, uh, that of course, I've got to ask you about. Uh, and we were talking then about earth changes uh, with regard to earthquakes and tectonic movement. And uh, you were talking about the ring of fire then. And you were predicting at that time that if a series of four earthquakes, I believe, occurred four times, they would begin a cataclysmic um, event on the West Coast, culminating in a series of uh, increasingly large earthquakes that would be the beginning of the earth change map that you were talking about. We, I, and I recall, Gordon, distinctly that we went through those uh, four earthquake cycles, I think twice or even almost three times, uh, almost three times, and it did not quite complete. The, um, the, you're, you're right. There were, it was a four-quake scenario. There were four... There were uh, a total of, um, of uh, 12 scenarios, 12, 12 possibilities. Ten of the 12 occurred. Two did not. They, they, they released, the magnitude releases uh, on the last cycle uh, was predicted, I predicted, would, would exceed eight. And they fell short. They fell down into the sixth range, and they never reached it. So the very last cycle didn't happen. And, uh, and so for me it was... Um, a relief. It was like, okay, you know, we've bought some more time. That that uh, something had changed, um, you know, uh, in the scenario, and maybe and maybe that change was the the Earth healers that were out there, the groups that were out there, and you know, because everywhere I look, I can see consciousness increasing. I can see this this, uh, this as you call the quickening. I can see this all happening every day, and I, and I see the best of both worlds happening. I, I feel like we're in a polarized planet now. Where, where there's one group that's striving for the best and, and the wholeness, the oneness, and then the old guard, which is still holding on to power and control. And it's almost like this battle is going on right now. Mm -hmm. uh, about six weeks ago, you had a new series of visions. Uh, and I guess we should get to those. Um, what happened? Um, we need to back up just a, a, a tad um, okay. on that, uh, set this up so that it can be understood. Um, a year ago, when I decided um, that I had to um, withdraw, I had to really take care of my health, and because um, the headaches were returning again like they were in, in late 70s, and it really scared me. Because at, at this stage, I knew what was going on, where back then I didn't know. Um, and so... I, I canceled all of my uh, conferences and things that I was doing, and, and um, my inner guidance was was that what I really needed to do was to to not do anything for a year. In the process of that year of not doing anything, I began to see a series of, um, of visions of the time period of, of 98 to 2012. Now, these were nothing new uh, that I hadn't already um, published, but I was beginning to see the timeline more specifically. And that was something new, because the timeline was always kind of broad. It was everything up into 98 was warning signs that I was given. You know, watch for these warning signs. And then from 98 to 2012 was when 
I saw, you know, new maps of the world. Yes. With a high probability of uh, that, you know, by the turn of the century here, we, were, we would see some of the major ones occurring, you know. Um, and so um, I began to take uh, the very specifics of what I was seeing, um, and I decided that, that you know, the last thing that I wanted to complete uh, in my life, and I said, if, if this thing doesn't get better, if these headaches don't go away, if, if, if I've done everything I needed to do and, and it's time for me to, to work at another level, uh, so be it. But I decided that I, what I really need to do is to put it down in writing. So I, I spent that year, I spent up until uh, six weeks ago, writing that down and completing it. And I, and I put it all in a book, which, which I, I titled Notes from the Cosmos. And it, it explained the things that we talked about tonight, but it also explained the mechanisms. And specifically, in the past six weeks, the mechanisms um, that one of the things that, I, that was really loud and clear uh, before the six-week time period was that, is that there was indications that instead of being on the outset like, you know, let's say, this, uh, this thing might happen in 2005 or 2010 or maybe 2012. Right. Like some of the Maya calendar predictions. I was seeing a timeline that indicated that it, it moved up substantially. It moved up to the time period of 98 to, 90, to, to, to 1999 within a 12-month time period. And that really disturbed me because um, I was hopeful that there was a shift and that this thing was going to be much later. And... I, I was told six weeks ago to watch for the following things to happen. As you know, we, uh, we've talked about this before. I had, I had predicted that El Ninos would return and they would stay longer and be more, more severe. And, um, and also the Caribbean was one of the areas that we really had to watch for. I remember you said watch Montserrat. Yeah. Um, and so back in, uh, in 93, when we were warning about, um, in 94, about to watch the, the Caribbean, watch Mount Surat, uh, and also watch the, the Pacific and watch the Antarctica for, for a melting. Yes. Those were, those were more things to watch for, and those were like the final things. Like in my visions, there was nothing else after that. In other words, it's like throughout the 80s, I would always get the next stage, and then I could say, okay, watch for these things, and then the next stage will start. Well, the past uh, six weeks ago, um, I released my book, and the visions ended. In other words, in other words, there there were no more. There were n- there was nothing further to come, which to me was was saying that uh, the the three visions that I would see, the colorful one that would be the most probable reality, the right. next one might. Well, all of a sudden, there was only one. The other two had gone. Had gone altogether? Entirely. And that's something that is not part of my belief system, because I believe and always believe that even at the 11th hour, you know, we can bring a vision back. And I still believe that that's possible. But I can only state what I see. You know, as a futurist, my function is to state what I see and don't color it. And, and it lives by what I publish. If it, if it you know, you put, you put it out there, you, you don't manipulate it, you simply state what it is, some people will get angry about it. Other people will say, how can we change it? And other people won't believe it. Um, Do you think that the fact that you're only seeing one vision now indicates that the other probabilities have faded to the point that there's very little chance they will occur? Unfortunately, um, 
every day I uh, wrestle with that. I fight with that. Uh, my sense, my sense is, and what my uh, the fact that I'm not seeing anything further uh, after that point. I mean, they're totally gone. Any f- further visions about these things? It just tells me that uh, that we are very, very close now. Uh, and the reality was that the things that I published last year and this year and, and Actually, some of these, you know, back ten years ago, uh, all funnel into this end of this 1997 was was like a critical threshold year to watch for, and and the and the the big thing was that what was causing all this stuff, and why are these things happening, and why now only one vision, mm-hmm. and uh, the last vision that I saw six weeks ago uh, was a deep trance vision. We hadn't done these for years, literally, because I haven't ha- been able. I haven't had to. It's been more of a case where I could sit at my word processor and I would simply enter the, the collective stream, and it was easy. Um, but we decided six weeks ago, because of a series of dreams, to do one of these deep um, trance sessions that we had that we used to do back in the eighties. And um, Cynthia, uh, my wife, was the conductor. And in it, uh, we had some specific questions. You want to know about my health? Was it getting better? The answer was yes, that, that I was out of the woods, that I, that I had uh, done the right thing, that mm-hmm. it was hard to do, but it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, that, um, and then she asked this other question. It wasn't planned that she was going to ask this question. It was really planned about my health. And she said, um, is there anything you can tell us that, uh, that we should tell people or anything that would be of, of importance? To anything, to anybody, and the response was that uh, that th- an event had happened, um, and th- this would have been mid- mid-July, and it said and it-, it sets into motion a change, a change now that will unfold. In other words, it wasn't it wasn't saying that things might be different. It was saying that something happened, something happened around the 15th, 16th of July. And that at that time frame would give or take a few days, um, set into motion a whole bunch of things. And, and then she said, "Well, what what is that?" And my trans source said, "The poles have shifted." Have shifted. Have. That that there had been a shift internal to the core of the Earth, the internal core of the Earth relative to the outer mantle, had shifted. It said this is the third one. Uh, it, it, one had happened. Uh, between the years of 30, 1934 and 1936, it said. So the second one happened between seven, 78 and 80, all being very minor in nature. But they said that the one in July what would be considered uh, twice as, as much of a shift. And it said that that would then do the following. It said that you would see an ex- a massive melt-offs would begin to occur. The, the water temperatures would rise. Uh, Substantially. Now, we already had predicted uh, that we would see a, a major El Nino return, so that wasn't surprising. But it said that we'd be looking at double-digit increases yes. in the ocean and that it would follow by magnetic uh, devices failing, especially things that control uh, things that would be in the atmosphere, and particularly the higher atmosphere, satellites, aircraft, uh, that there would be various radiations that would come out as, as high pulses only for a millisecond or two milliseconds would be released. But if, a, if an object like a satellite or an airplane was in the vicinity, um, they would, uh, and anything was stressed 
on on the electronic circuitry that you would start to see failure. So we would start seeing those kind of communication breakdowns, airplane breakdowns, oh boy. things of that nature. Can I uh, stop you for a second and yeah. tell you something, Gordon? Last week while broadcasting, uh, a particularly unusual call, I lost my... Uh, a very strange thing. I've got a satellite KU band uplink here. You're a ham, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I went in there. I got a call from the network saying you're off the air. I said, all right, let me go check. Uh, panicked, of course, and I ran in the other room, and I looked, and every sync light on my uh, transmitter was out. And I told the network, my transmitter is dead as a doornail. It has internally hemorrhaged and died. Something is really gone. I mean, it's just flat off the air. And they checked by modem, and sure enough, they agreed with me at the network. My uh, transmitter was dead. It turned out, Gordon that GE Americom in New Jersey, and we're on a brand new satellite, GE1, right now as we speak, we're on GE1. Uh, according to GE Americom, it had lost earth lock for some unknown reason, and 50 of 200 channels had simply gone off the air. It is still an insufficient explanation as far as we are concerned, but in all the years of my broadcasting, I have never seen anything like this occur. In other words, my transmitter was showing it was dead because it was no longer seeing a satellite. The satellite virtually had turned or lost earth lock or had received some kind of pulse and went away, Gordon, for about 45 minutes, gone. Is that the kind of failure you're talking about? It, it could be. Um... Like you, um, I have a technical background, so I tend to look for the very obvious things that would fail, you know, such as, as human error, uh, you know. So phenomena in electronics it only means that you, you haven't found the circuit that's failed or the problem. However, um, what, I'm, what I did see and what I believe is that uh, these pulses that are going out, any system that is stressed, I mean, most electronic things work very reliably today. Mm -hmm. uh, transistors will last for, for long time periods. Oh, yes. Um, but, but a lot of parts, a lot of components in a, in a satellite uh, or an airplane, there's, there's literally thousands and thousands of components. And many of those components are working, but they're barely working. In other words, they're in maybe out of tolerance, but they still work because of the design. Right. But you put a stress on them, like heat or magnetic disturbances. And poof. Or, or energy waves that... that that at least the public is not aware of, and you subject them to those things, then you get these failures. That's what I think we've been seeing all week with these crashes. It's military crashes, more military crashes than we've seen in years. Yeah. And it could be what something that may have happened, you know, with your satellite, or it could be something very logical like something, some, you know, a human error. But the, the coincidences today, statistically, are such that we have to question that something else is going on. I mean, I am, I am totally amazed. Uh, I'm amazed that we're looking at the, the, the news at night and we're seeing uh, 10, 12 degrees of break. rise in ocean temperature. Yeah, we'll and pick up on that. We're, we're at the bottom of the air. I've got a break, so uh, we'll be right back. Gordon Michael Scallion is my guest, and we will be back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 19th. 
Radio Networks presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired September 19, 1997. My guest is Gordon Michael Scallion. Prepare yourself. Now we take you back to the night of September 19, 1997 on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Since we last talked to Gordon Michael Scallion a year ago, uh, the Montserrat volcano has erupted violently several times. Scientists are now talking about the possibility of a catastrophic eruption on Montserrat. There is an evacuation underway. The Larsen ice shelf in the Antarctic is, scientists assure us, about to crack off, literally crack off, and fall into uh, the ocean. Water temperatures off the west coast, I read to you uh, the latest uh, from NASA here a little while ago. They have just done some recent measurements, and they are finding now that the size of the El Nino is roughly one and one-half times the size of the entire continental U.S. That's according to NASA on Monday. In addition, in the Antarctic, we're finding now... um, Changes in the DNA of simple-celled creatures, actual genetic change. Uh, We have uh, a lot of frogs and other creatures that are exhibiting uh, terrible malformations. We have Fisteria off the east coast of the U.S., as far north as Maryland, which is beginning to give fish open bleeding sores, and now human beings the same thing. So much of what you have said is coming, Gordon, is not in the future, but it is beginning to occur right now. Your view of the um, El Nino, I think, is somewhat different than the normal four-year cyclical uh, view of El Nino. Is that correct? Yes, it's. Uh, I believe it is a. Uh, it is a pattern, but uh, typically El Nino used to appear around Christmas time, thus the name El Nino, uh, and it would only last for a short time period, and then there. The cycle would would go on. I I believe that the cycle is triggered by um, by planetary influences, specifically um, Mars and Uranus. I think that there are there are the forces that kind of like a flywheel that, that hits the planet, and if conditions are in a certain way, it causes uh, disturbances in the core. Uh, if you watch all the television shows and go to all the websites and see everything about El Nino, um, you won't find what the cause of it is. Uh, you'll see some speculation from time to time that it's global warming. So if you're in the global warming camp, this is another sign that says, you know, we have failed uh, as, a, as a society, and therefore we're, we're paying the price for it. And while I believe that global warming is, is a major problem, I don't believe it is the root cause of it. The root cause, I believe, is there has been a disturbance to the core of the Earth and that disturbance has displaced magma. And the magma, wherever it's the thinnest, which is typically at the ocean depth, uh, breaks through. And the heat wants to get out, and so it's going to move up through the ground or the water. Uh, it's also uh, has undersea conduits that can travel for thousands of miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, it, is, it, ex- it accentuates the, the stability of the Earth. So what we're seeing is 
magma being disturbed, being forced to the surfaces, and all of this is part of a pole shift, which I believe uh, has already begun. It's not something that's going to happen someday. It's already begun. There will eventually be a series of events where you will say, oh, today we, you know, we had a pole shift. But it, in life it doesn't happen that way. There's always there's always a beginning to things that are happening. It's, it, it builds up a crescendo, and then, then something happens, and that's when we recognize it. Of course, we're seeing the precursor activity right now with El Nino. Um, it's interesting you mentioned July 15th and 16th. You're a ham. Have you been active in the last uh, year or two? Uh, unfortunately, the past year I have not. I, I, I don't think I've been on a half a dozen times. I've spent so much time trying to... Uh, complete the book that I have not. I understand. All right, here's the reason I ask. Uh, we have been at a at a low point in the solar cycle. Uh, about July, middle of July, Gordon, uh, that began to change. They detected uh, in July, I believe, a polarity shift in the sunspots, and we began to climb. Finally, uh, we're now over 100. The last time I checked, uh, solar count. And I wonder if there could be any relationship to that change on the sun and what might be going on with the Earth. Well, um, I'm just looking for this this passage that I wrote. Um, And in it, what I explain is that the the triggering effect for the pole shift will occur as the polarity of the sun adjusts itself. (laughs) Really? This is is in, in my book, Notes in the Cosmos. And I said, when that occurs the reaction almost immediately will be magnetic disturbances and instability in the Earth. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it, well, this is part of what, what the progressional cycle. The, the driving forces behind all of this is natural cycles. The Earth going through precession. You know, it's a, it's a 23 to 26,000 year cycle that it moves through. The, and when it does, it, every time the precession cycle gets at the far extremes, we have uh, an altering of a magnetic field, and it begins on the sun, the sun being the most powerful presence we have. The moon is closer, but the sun is obviously the the power generator, and this is the the cause of these things, I believe. What do you think is going to happen? In other words, so far, uh, we see these incredible temperature uh, builds 10 to 12 degrees. They're beginning to catch fish up in the state of Washington. They ought not ever catch there. They're seeing tropical fish around the Golden Gate Bridge. Even in the Atlantic, tropical fish are moving into the North Atlantic. I mean, there's some really weird stuff beginning to occur. Where is it going? Where is it going? We're going to see. Um, uh, this is not going to uh, slow down or stop at all. Um, it's going to um, accelerate. In fact, when we get into December, uh, we're going to see some massive things. Starting this month, we're going to see massive winds. Um, you know, we've been seeing you know tornadoes in strange places, but we're going to see a lot more of that. And we're going to see <coughs> the jet stream is going to be altered as a result of all this. We're going to see a lot of magnetic instability, and then it's going to uh, culminate in uh, anything that's stressed on the planet, which is you know tectonic. Areas, you know, the the West Coast, anywhere in the Ring of Fire, you know, which runs right up, of course, the San Andreas in California up up, up to Alaska. We're going to see anything that's already stressed 
they're going to be the first to, to release itself. Um, I have been waiting for activities to occur in Italy. There's been a lot of small, multiple quakes, but nothing of significant release that, that I, it would concern me. Um, Mount Surat is, um, does concern me. It concerns me because it tells me that the, the disturbances or the, the two areas that I said to watch for, which was the Antarctica and, and the Caribbean, those are now active. So it tells me that we have entered the final stages. And, and it will culminate in the poles, the magnetic poles, deviating or changing. And this will happen abruptly, uh, a series of stages, uh, of 67, 6 or 7 degrees per each of these stages in a, in a westerly movement. So if you were looking at your compass in, in, in real time, you would see the needle literally changing uh, from a north direction more towards westerly, and uh, it would do this about three times, so that the, that the your compass, you know, if you're in the um, somewhere in, in say latitude 40 degrees in, in our hemisphere, northern hemisphere, you would see the the the, the compass pointing more towards um, Hawaii, you know, in that direction. Uh-huh. Uh And uh, it will alter weather immediately. Uh, weather patterns will. will will change in a matter of, of minutes, hours at the outset. So where it's been uh, cold, it'll be uh, warm. One of the things that uh, the last visions that I saw was uh, I saw the, the uh, in very fast time the complete melt-off of the Antarctic. And I could see land, and I could see, not only could I see land, but I, I could see uh, structures. They were old, old uh, it reminded me of Celtic structures. And I could actually see them. And then I, I, I watched the, the ocean levels just rising very rapidly. Um, Obviously, then, a lot of land is going to go underwater. Yeah, yeah, there's a, you know, the, the coastlines obviously will, will change. And, and this has happened before. I believe in cycles. I believe that there's, there is a reason for, for things. And, and I think man can work with these cycles or against them. And I think that uh, we allowed our technology to work against us instead of for us. And so I think the cycle has been accelerated. And, and while I think these things would happen if man wasn't even present, I think they're going to be more severe and they're going to happen much quicker. But we haven't learned, Gordon. I was just in the Carolinas on the East Coast and where Hurricane Hugo took away all the homes, just wiped them flat gone, there are now brand new homes right on the coast, right on the ocean, just waiting, uh, if not for another hurricane, then the first thing that would uh, bring any rise in the water at all, and they're, they're again going to be completely gone. Well, it's, you know, waterfront property has high value regardless of what's happened to it before, unless it's, unless it's radioactive. And uh, we're very uh, technological and clever people. We can uh, put the financial packages together to rebuild and sell those things and remortgage them. Oh, yes. And as long as we're willing to, uh, you know, to bail out uh, uh, mass problems, we will, we will continue to do these kind of things. It will eventually come to the point where the money will not be there to do that. The, the, the number of crises and the amount of money being poured into natural disasters is already unprecedented. If you look at the last couple of years, it's just like it's unfathomable how much money I know. has gone. And, and, and we, we're not even at what I call it level two yet of a scale of one to a hundred. We're just, we're just the beginning stages 
Well, um, you, you must not be the only one who knows because insurance companies are beginning to stop underwriting, uh, refusing to uh, underwrite in a lot of cases. Uh, and, and I can only presume they must know something. Well, um, I'm in contact with uh, a lot of people uh, who are uh, at the top levels of either government or of major insurance companies, and, and many of them are uh, a long-time clients of mine, in fact, when I used to do intuitive consulting work. So through the years, we've, we've made this contact. And so I have privy to, you know, to, to some inside information, and while it's confidential as far as who, I can talk in generalities, and uh, it's well known, and this is why they've they've made you know the changes. Um, there's, an, there's an area here I'd like to explore, uh, not explore. I'd like to just address. Sure. Um, and it's the area of uh, of fear. I just uh, I just received a fax from our call center, and uh, <clears throat> they're receiving, as we speak, um, hundreds of phone calls. They're just coming in with and and. and the, the big thing there is is, 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 is there's a lot of fear generated. And I know last time we were on the show, uh, we, we had that same situation. And, and what I try to do is, is how do you be factual and share what you know? Without scaring people. Without, without you know, it's like offering an alternative. You know, what do you do? How do you fix something like this? Um, I tried my best to do that and... By, by putting down all of my experiences, what I see happening, and what these options are. I've, I've made that available with absolutely no profit to our company or me whatsoever. It's simply something that, that I want to make available for people. And with your permission, I'd like to, to mention it. Absolutely. Um, the year I took office, I was healing, uh, which probably was the, one of the most, uh, I don't know, probably the most spiritual years of my life because um, all my energy was focused inward. Usually it's focused outward. I was able to look at myself, my life, um, and I was able to go back and I spent a lot of time reading the thousands of letters that I've received and, and um, a lot of your listeners uh, included me in their, their prayer groups and I want to thank them all now. Uh, there were so many of them. Literally, we received thousands of letters over the past year. Um, it, it may reach as high as five thousand or more letters mm -hmm. and I do appreciate that and one of the things I tried to do uh, with this book was to describe what the mechanisms are and describe uh, ways of dealing with the fear and things that you can do and um, I'd like to at least mention where you can get it if they want to oh absolutely okay um, the book um, is a uh, it can be uh, obtained uh, uh, this weekend, 12 o'clock Pacific to, to 9 Pacific, 9 p.m., or 9 o'clock Eastern to 9 o'clock Eastern uh, by calling 1-800-MATRIX-3, 1-800-628-7493. If you just remember, MATRIX, M-A-T-R-I-X-3, mm -hmm. uh, they can get it. The book is a, um, is a 16, $16.95 at the bookstores at... It costs us fourteen ninety five. We have a, a two dollar level that the institute uses. Um, the only money I take from the institute is, is my basic needs, nothing more. Uh, and so we we have several thousand copies left out of the second press run. It's been out six weeks. In here, it will answer most of the questions. So 
uh, those who people who have been calling and you know, fearful about this, this is this is what I know. This is some of the options that I see. Um, I also want to say that it is not the end of the world. Uh, our world has survived for billions of years. Uh, it will continue to survive. There's going to be great changes. The changes are already upon us. All right. Your book is called Notes from the Cosmos, A Futurist Insights into the World of Dream Prophecy and Intuition. Correct. Uh, and again, let me give the number. It's 1-800-628-7493. Fear is a natural thing, uh, Gordon. But it can be a good thing. Uh, it can be a good thing. That's right. Now, you, you say these changes are going to be very abrupt. You see a melding of the Antarctic. Uh, you see land. In fact, you see buildings uh, in the Antarctic. And you see the ocean levels rising, and you don't think this El Nino is a standard El Nino at all, but part of a larger picture, if I've got this right, that includes a pole shift, which is just around the corner. Uh, are we talking about weeks, months? What do you think? Um, I, I believe that, uh, that in um, 1998, if we... I believe that uh, starting in December, we're going to start to see um, uh, an acceleration of major activity. By major activity, we're going to see more volcanism and more quakes. Um, and that uh, in 1998, uh, in, that, in that calendar year, I believe we will have experienced the first uh, measurable uh, pole shift uh, where we begin to see the failure of electronic devices, uh, we begin this, I mean, in mass. We're just seeing the, the leading edge of the effects of, of a shift that's already occurred, uh, but we're going to see a, a jump. It would be kind of like uh, watching an earthquake. It's calm, the ground begins to rumble, and then the ground moves and shifts, and you see a tear in the ground. Now imagine the earth core is, is that way. It, it shifts, it begins to vibrate a little bit, mm -hmm. transfers its energy up to the outer mantle, and then all of a sudden, the outer mantle immediately shifts, and you begin to see uh, the effects. And the effect here will be, uh, and there is probably a three to three week to three month window uh, that will give us the final exact date, uh, and that will be massive solar flares. So watch with that, and that 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 will could start as early as December of this year through 98. And then the next thing that will, will begin to happen is, is magnetic devices, satellite systems, uh, failing uh, almost on a regular basis. By regular basis, once a week at least seeing this disruption because these bursts of energy, which are, uh, which are standing waves that are coming out of the Earth versus uh, uh, you know, more electrical nature, uh, these things will, will literally come up as spikes, and they will come up around the Earth at key grid meridians. Around the Earth, there's certain places like acupuncture needles where the energy is higher. All right. Um, Listen, we are at the top of the hour. How are you doing? Um, do you have a break coming up? Yeah, I do. Uh, let's talk during the break. All right. Uh, we will talk during the break. Gordon Michael Scallion is my guest. Stay right where you are. And we'll be right back. From the high desert, this is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. 
tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 19, 1997. Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 19, 1997. Once again, here I am. Gordon Michael Scallion is going to remain for this hour. If you have a question for him, come now. And we'll get back to him in a moment. A poll shift on the way, and soon. Listening to Art Bell somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 19th, 1997. All right, and I want to emphasize something because the phone lines uh, at the Matrix Institute are already going crazy. The times that you can call will uh, actually are between 9 o'clock and 9 o'clock, 9 in the morning to 9 at night, Eastern Time, uh, or translate for your particular time zone, 12 to 12 uh, here in the West. Hawaii and Alaska will have to adjust appropriately, as will the Virgin Islands. So 9 to 9 Eastern Time is the time to call. They are not equipped to take calls right now. Please do not call right now. Um, you obviously felt this was very imminent, very important to get on the air tonight instead of waiting several months, which would have been your physical preference otherwise, correct? Well, the agreement that our, our little family meeting that we had and with uh, other people was that I would not do anything until um, January of 98 and, um, and then talk about um, another uh, series of things that I see, you know, as the spiritual occurrences I also see occurring in '98, uh, but six weeks ago, it, um, it, once once the Antarctic and the Caribbean and the water temperature, it was it happened much faster than I thought. I really thought that this was 
not going to go until like 98, uh, 99, maybe even, you know, 2005. Um, it, it pushed the calendar up a lot, and it, and it gave me concern to say, at least need to make people aware of options. All right. Uh, one question, then we'll go to the phones, and that is, with this pole shift and the weather and the winds, what kind of tectonic plate effect will there be? Uh, that much magma moving under the earth would produce tremendous change tectonically, wouldn't it? They uh, will have a new tectonic system. I've seen that in the future where it, it, it doubles, literally. Um, so there's more, more breakages. Um, you know, we've already discovered new faults that we didn't know existed uh, because of technology. And, of course, after quakes, we've been able to explore and find those things. So we're going to see um, the thrusting, um, massive thrusting in a matter of moments um, around the world. And, again, the areas that are, that are on the highest stress, which is the ring of fire, anywhere along that ring, we will see great releases. And, of course, that's the total west coast of, uh, of the United States, uh, the west coast of South America. Um, Japan um, is probably going to be one of the very early places that's going to see this disruption uh, because they sit on three, three plates kind of converge there. And so you've got three, you know, you've got more, the percentages are higher that we're going to see greater releases and sooner releases in Japan. So Japan would be kind of like another uh, precursor. All right. Uh, let's go to the phones. First time caller line, you're on the air with Gordon Michael Scallion. Good morning. Uh, good morning. This is Kirk from Benwood. Uh, where is that? Um, in West Virginia. Okay. I have a question for uh, Gordon. Um, with all these bad things that are, uh, you know, coming upon us, um, do you think, um, uh, how's it going to be after that? Are we going to have happy times, or are we going to, how are we going to adapt to the things? Well, that's a good any... question. What, in other words, what comes after the change? Um, we're a very resilient people. Um, we, we do survive, uh, and we survive in, 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 in large numbers of people. Um, we change a lot. We change um, physically because we're going to have a, a whole different energy system to the Earth because these, these changes in, the, in our position in the heavens is going to change. So we're going we're to receive different energies, uh, and we're going to actually physically begin to change. We predicted that we would see DNA changes in microbes and, and single-cell organisms first, and, uh, and I said that would, that would happen in 2002. Well, earlier, Art, you read what's happening now. That's right. And so, it's, you know, I'm, I'm way off of my time. Um, but there is, I, I do see um, highly gifted uh, people, uh, especially children. Um, the thing that I see in the future are, are uh, children. Longevity increases to uh, almost uh, 250, 300 years. Uh, diseases, as we now know it, go away. Uh, it, they go away because the magnetic influences uh, that set up and hold all matter together changes. And so those diseases can't function anymore. We, we change the, uh, the operating structure for it. That doesn't mean that we won't have new problems, but the, the existing ones will, will change. So major diseases go away, like AIDS, for example, and, and many, uh, many of the uh, cancers go away. Um, we're also going to see a highly intuitive uh, race of people that are going to emerge at birth. And, and Nothing happens without notice. We, we in our dreams, uh, one of the most common, uh, you know, we get, we get buckets of mail every day, and the most common theme 
is people sharing dreams, which I always appreciate reading. And it's always, the themes are so similar. So, you know, tens of thousands of people are writing in with similar experiences, and they, they always describe these children that are, that are bright. And my, my forecast and predictions have said that these children um, begin to come in in the 80s and 90s. So young children now are very gifted. They, uh, you know, we see the computer and we see kids doing things with computers that are amazing. Uh, that is an evolutionary shift. That is not just a change in society that caused that. Um, when you're younger, you can adjust to these changes much more readily than you can when you're older. So these younger people are already adjusting to these new energy patterns of the Earth. So they're, they're more intuitive. They're more creative. Um, uh, I don't see wars in the future. I see uh, conflicts, but not wars. I see communities more in rural sections. Um, I see uh, um, I see the technology that we now have totally being re- replaced by other technologies. Uh, so we're not really a technological um, race. Um, I call the new race the children of the blue ray, and it's it's the intuitive race of people. So children who are born even now, but more so after these shifts occur, come into the world with total knowledge. Uh, it's almost like they were tapped into some giant computer in the sky, uh, natural healers. Um, so I see a lot of, um, of positive. In fact, if, if each of us were to say, what would we like the future to be? <clears throat> and we map that out, and then we would look at it and we say, well, it'll never be that way. We could never possibly give up our, our cars. We couldn't possibly give up our televisions and all of our things. We just we, we wouldn't do it. Well, these changes kind of takes it out of our our pathway, so to speak. It, it removes that from us, so that we can rebuild the way that we each would want it to be. We become a highly spiritual race of people, and it lasts for about 1,800 years. Uh, so it's a, it's a long time for a society to emerge and to last. Um, before it goes to the next series of changes. It is, indeed. All right. Um, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Gordon Michael Scallion. Good morning. Where are you, please? Good morning, uh, Art. This is Tony in Las Vegas. Yes. Uh, good morning, uh, Gordon. Good morning. I have a very brief uh, segmented comment for you, Art, and a question for your guest. Uh, first off, uh, Major Ed Dane said about six months ago that the timeline event of our, for the event uh, was one and a half to three years. Now he says two twelve, uh, 2012. And he doesn't like uh, the term remote viewer anymore. If he expects people to remain uh, interested in his, his uh, claimed capabilities, he might try creating the same light seen over northern Arizona, Tucson, and Phoenix with his proposed two-watt lasers. Theory. Well, he is going to do that indeed. Uh, uh, okay. Do you have a question for Gordon? Yes, Gordon? I do. Uh, a very brief question. Any visions about Gene Shoemaker-Levy's untimely demise and Earth orbit crossing asteroids? And I'll listen off the air. All right. Um, no, I, I've, I've had a lot of information. Uh, and, Gart, you and I talked about this uh, over a year ago, about uh, before the comet came. Um, I had a lot about, uh, about uh, the comet, but not his demise. But my experience has always shown me that when um, when a messenger such as as he was, um, you know, we could say he was at the right place at the right time. We could say a lot of things, but but he brought global focus. Just just as the recent accident with Princess Diana and Mother Teresa did, brought natural focus. Mm. These things are not by accident; they're part of a of a grand plan, and that um, 
that it could be that, that his work was to point something out, to bring focus to this, so that we began looking in a certain area. We began looking at what if. I can remember when we first started talking, Art, there were very few television shows about asteroids or, or, or anything. That's true. And it's hard to turn the television on now without some show focusing on on earthquakes or floods or typhoons or hurricanes, and the, the shows go on and on and on. All of that is designed as part of the quickening. It's part of the awakening to see, you know, to focus our attention. Then we have a choice. We can go into denial and say, nothing I can do about it, forget it, or we look at it and say, what are my options? Being bluntly honest with everybody, Gordon, how inevitable do you see the, uh, the coming pole shift and the changes? Um, I believe at this stage uh, it, it will occur versus a year ago where I felt that we had some outside chances if we did certain things as a collective body. I still would like to hope that um, in some areas that, that consciousness can alter events, and I do believe that. But I believe, I believe we're now outside of the global, and now we're into the, the, the community. So now I think it's up to communities and how they live their life how they treat their neighbors, how they treat the land. I think communities, depending on how they function spiritually, will determine how they fare through these changes. And I now believe with, with 100% of certainty that, this is, that these events will occur. Well, you well know that I have written a book called The Quickening, and I've got an analogy that I really like that I think is dead on. And in the old days when they used to fly planes uh, across the Pacific to Japan, uh, in the old movie The High and Mighty, there would be a point uh, about the halfway point, just past the halfway point, and a little red light would come on, which would indicate the point of no return. In other words, no matter what happens, uh, no matter what might go wrong, you now no longer have enough fuel to go back from whence you came. You can only go forward. And I think that some time ago, not long ago, humanity's little red light came on. And that doesn't mean the end of the world. It just means we are going to go on to whatever is next. Does that sound about right? Yes, exactly right. Yeah. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Gordon Michael Scallion. Hello. Yes, uh, my name is George. I'm calling from Mansfield, Ohio. Hi, George. I have a very important question for Mr. Gordon um, on something to do with the magnetic pole shift. Um, back in 1988, and I don't know if you're aware of this, they discovered what is called nonlinear weather patterns. Now, what that is is basically weather patterns that are its very hard to describe. So it's a chaotic weather pattern that holds a certain pattern, that repeats that pattern, but is chaotic. And what they learned from that is a new science called controlled synchronous chaos. This is no lie. Uh, Mr. Dr. Chua at uh, the University of Berkeley in Berkeley, California, developed circuits for this. The U.S. Naval Laboratory, which I've received information, have developed all types of, of ways of encoding messages secretly through cryptography. Um, the dynamic output of lasers, which means increasing the power of a laser tremendously mm -hmm. by using it. But what I want to mention is what I believe they discovered in 1988 in the weather patterns is a kind, you know, capacitance between objects um, is like a charge, okay? If the capacitance was chaotic between objects, couldn't this possibly um, uh, neutralize the normal capacitance that's supposed to be in this world 
and possibly causes magnetic pole shift and, and of course, uh, all these weather patterns. And could it possibly be there are little diodes and capacitors and electronic circuits working through the power possibly of the aurora borealis, which is a solar wind, means the particles coming down from the sun, the solar flares and so forth, the energy coming from the sun affects our electronic gear. Is it possible that our sophisticated electronic gear um, could be possibly responsible for this nonlinearity? Right. something recently developed. All right, I think I've got the thrust of your question. It's an interesting question uh, because you've said that when this event comes, this pole shift, electronics uh, will suddenly fail. Correct. Um, technology, um, there's two types, and, and I think part of what George is, is, is discussing is that there, there's two, two sides of all energies, um, just like there's, there's white and black. Uh, uh, we can look at energies and in, in, in two polarities, um, Somewhere in the middle is where energies kind of want to be. Everything wants to be at a state of balance or rest. Right. And anything that contributes either side of that throws it off of balance. Right. Um, our massive electronics, uh, at any given moment, there are hundreds of electronic signals passing through each of our bodies. Oh, Maybe yes. Maybe thousands for all I know, but hundreds for sure. Uh, these, we say, well, they're, they're small, you know, microwave, radio, televisions, you know, little signals. But over time, these, these signals also pass into the Earth. I have no doubt that they contribute to instability. So, so in a way, he was right, a causative agent, and what you see coming, the corrective agent. The, you know, there is no way to correct it at this stage. Uh, we can't... Well, in, 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 let me rephrase that, rebalance. The, the, the balancing has to come from each of us individually. Um, you know, some of the things that we have done here, for example, is that we have uh, we've minimized the amount of technology that we have. We, because we are communicators, we, we need certain amounts of technology, but I have minimized it significantly. I've also become more aware of, of, of kinds of energy, you know, where I try to use uh, uh, solar devices. You know, I try, to do, I try to do as much as I can, and that's increased my awareness. Each of us has to, in our own way, Kind of go back to a balance point. The, the the most significant energy is not our technology as I see it. That's destructive. The single thing I see is our thoughts. And if we are in a loving position where we're thinking loving thoughts, wishing well, uh, we we eliminate greed, we eliminate control, we eliminate hatred. We always see the best of everybody. We try to work in that framework. Those thoughts for each of us, are powerful. Now, we might say, well, you know, that's only one person. you got to remember, we're, we're, we're five and a half, almost six billion people on this planet. That's a lot of thought, collectively, if it was focused. Yeah, it's a lot of little magnets. All right, hold on. We'll be right back. Gordon Michael Scallion is my guest. I'm Art Bell. You're listening to Art Bell, somewhere in time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 19th. 1997. I see them blue, far in you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright 
blessed day The dark sacred night And I think to myself What a wonderful world Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 19th, 1997. It is, and here I am again. Gordon Michael Scallion is with us, and he'll be right back. Now we take you back to the night of September 19th, 1997, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Back down to Gordon Michael Scallion in New Hampshire, and here comes something that we don't normally ever do on the air, or I don't think we've ever done it, actually. Um, during the last break, not this one, but the last one, Gordon said, I need to talk to you off the air about something, and I finally couldn't stand it. At the bottom of the hour, I asked him what that was. <laughs> And, um, Gordon, why don't you repeat what you said to me? Um, I, I was, during a break, I had, uh, I started seeing uh, visions, and uh, and I had an you know, incredible knot in my stomach. And my first thought was, I became fearful. I, I said, I've overdone it. I, I was only, you know, I had agreed I was only going to do two a, hours, a time. An hour and a half or two hours. And, yeah. and, and yet my... My intuitive sense says that I really needed to talk to some people out there uh, to deal with issues uh, around fear. And uh, and the vision that I saw, the reason I wanted to talk to you off air is because it was it was a personal thing, and I never discussed things up without permission. Um, and it was that uh, the vision was that I saw uh, Art, you, and myself uh, sitting at some kind of a council with headsets on. And uh, the room had uh, maps all over the room, and the maps were, were uh, and we were using, which I assume is your program, to, um, to guide um, people into areas. And there was a, a string of cars that looked like a freight train of lights uh, spreading out uh, all the way to the west coast into Nevada. Uh, they were all coming in uh, to Nevada from, it appeared to be from the south and western portions of, of California. Um, and we were um, we were acting as like a lifeline link to this, and I could see uh, other visions of helicopters with Red Cross symbols on it bringing in and tents throughout the, uh, the the border of California and Nevada. There were thousands of these huge tents, look look like bivouac tents, and uh, people were coming in in masses, and it reminded me of. Uh, 1955, when I was involved in civil defense, and I, I did a similar thing there during a hurricane, of, of, you know, helping, you know, ham radio operators t- 
one of the, the greatest gifts that they offer is the ability to help during crisis because of course we have portable radios and, and we know how to work them and, and we're self-sufficient and we can put them in cars and, and, and that's one of the, the true gifts I found of ham radio and why I stayed with it for so long uh, and then um, just as I saw that it was like you know it threw me back and I literally had to had to sit down and, uh, and take some deep breaths and that's that's with the message that I wanted to share with you off the air. I, I appreciate it, and I don't mind it being on the air. That's that's something. And I uh, I wouldn't be surprised, but that such a thing could actually come true, Gordon. So we'll see, I guess. Uh, back to the lines. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Gordon Michael Scallion. Hi. Good morning, Art. And, Good morning. Uh, Gordon, I'm here. I'm Dave in Fresno, a ham radio operator as well. All right. Um, I've got a question, and my friend here sitting with me has got a question for Gordon. All right. Um, I'm just curious myself whether or not we'll be, basically, whether the North Pole will be in our backyard one morning or not. Um, after these changes, uh, these three abrupt magnetic uh, uh, shifts, um, most of the information you might read out there on shifts indicate that the poles reverse themselves. And, and so when they do, we know scientifically that poles the direction of the poles have reversed directions, north to south, south to north, right. thousands of times. We know that by core samplings and, and measuring magnetites in the material, so we can go back, and we know that there were major ones around 12,000 years ago, which you know, which is when we found the, the Mastodomus frozen and stride and all the weather changes and cataclysms. Um, the ones I see, however, are smaller, and they are six to seven degrees, as I had said earlier, westerly movement. So if you were sitting in Fresno and you were looking at your compass, you know the compass would point to currently north would point to probably somewhere around 200, uh, some, somewhere around 300 degrees. I'm going to guess three. You know there might be uh, 325. You know 25 to 45 degrees would be the the, ma- the maximum would be 45 degrees. 20 25 is 21 to 25 is is what I consistently have seen. But I've also um, realize that, that, that that could shift a bit more. Uh, and it could be, you know, if it went as much as 90 degrees, we're obviously looking, you know, due west. Wow. Well, there's some major changes. Yeah. And our other question here is uh, whether or not you know anything of the nature of the men in black. <laughs> um, no, I haven't, um, I haven't seen, I, had, I have had no visions about specifically about, um, you know, things that would deal with um, cover-ups and conspiracies. Uh, I guess... Uh, uh, the sources, whoever feed me this information, figure I have enough to do with cataclysms. But I have seen technology, uh, and I have I have seen uh, all kinds of craft, uh, and a lot of the craft that I have seen uh, is, you know, when the Bluebird was first created, uh, and the the 117A was created, you know, they were super secret for years. So whenever they roll out, you know, the super secret device, you know, they've got something. That's been up in the air, you know. That's already replaced it. So a lot of these crafts uh, I've seen. Um, I've also seen helicopters around those that were with no markings. So my assumption is is that um, two things are going on. One is uh, we have very advanced technology, uh, and we have we have craft that make you know jets, you know, look like uh, you know ancient steam engines, that kind of stuff. I think we're I think we're I think we have technology 50 years ahead of the of uh, what the industry will produce as far as mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I also think at the same time that uh, that we have uh, visitors, uh, not only from other uh, uh, solar systems, 
but also from you know within our own Earth system, you know other other, other vibrations or dimensions. And so you know logically in my mind, though I have not you know seen the specific vision of it, I would assume that all of this is known, including all these Earth changes. These are all known. And the question is... You know, that's kind of where I was going. That it must be all known. If sure. you know this, if you have seen this, then other gifted people have seen it. We know that the government has run remote viewing programs, has put money into various black projects of this sort for decades now, Gordon. So well, there's I, a good yeah. chance the government knows about it. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I have personally met with many of the astronauts, and we've had long discussions. And they have really, you know, once they went out in space, their life changed. And they had a whole different perspective on on the Earth, and, and their spirituality changed. Um, and this is not just one or two astronauts. I, I've talked to numerous, uh, and we've had some real deep, in-depth discussions where, of total honesty, on both of our parts. Right. Uh, and they have just said, you know, you know, they have they have seen this not only in space, but they've seen it here on Earth. That they're, they know their craft that uh, not only are, are that we have created, but there's craft that, that comes from someplace else. And that uh, every time they get close to exploring that on their own end, they're shut out. So they they, they only have so much knowledge. They, they've had firsthand visual contact. Now, pilots, especially jet pilots and astronauts, are highly trained. They're trained observers. Um, and, and so when they see something, and when you see them in mass describing, you know, technological craft, not not some kind of air phenomena. Uh, you have to believe them, and it fits into the visions that you know. I've I've showed them sketches that I've my visions. And I said, "Is this what you've seen?" And they and they just turn white. They said, "That's exactly what I've seen." How mm -hmm. did you get this? You know. I know. I've heard the same thing always privately from astronauts. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing a couple shortly. I'm looking forward to it. First time caller line. You're on the air with Gordon Michael Scallion. Good morning. Uh, hello. Hello. Yes. My yes. name is John. I'm calling from San Diego. Hi, John. How you doing? Uh, Mr. Scallion, it's a pleasure to uh, to get your views on some things. Uh, uh, in a nutshell, a couple of questions. Uh, one um, is regarding oh, it's some literature that I received uh, regarding the Ethereans. You say that the crop circles are actually not by UFOs, as we all are led to believe, but by these interdimensional beings or spirits. Uh, secondly, uh, you've highlighted that one area that's supposed to be a safe haven or safe zone is uh, Colorado, and uh, I'm getting two places. Uh, oh, actually, I don't know exactly where in Colorado. Uh, examples I'd like to know, because uh, from the literature, it doesn't really doesn't really uh, narrow it down for me. And secondly, I'm wondering with respect to another area is in Canada. Are there areas in Canada? Because what I'm thinking is. With respect to the weather changes and, and they're in flux, what we see today is not going to be that's there tomorrow. So that's a that's a big concern for me because obviously I would like to do my best to try to survive this 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 calamity that's going to befall us all. All right. Uh, uh, and and then lastly, uh, uh, lastly, I wanted to know uh, there is something I think with respect to Notre Dame. Uh, there was something about a uh, a planetary alignment. Now, I don't know, I guess it's open to interpretation, that the planetary alignment would cause a, um, I heard this somewhere, there's going to be an alignment, and this, in fact, could cause a... Uh, uh, the, the okay, caller, uh, caller, caller, 2005 is the uh, planetary alignment, I believe, and these events are forecast now to occur far before that. But let's go back to a couple of the earlier ones. Uh, Gordon, the crop circles 
are amazing. Uh, they have become more complex and incredibly more frequent. Uh, any comment on the crop circles? Um, the crop circles tie in with earth changes very specifically uh, and, and a shift in consciousness. Uh, I felt it was so important that I devoted a whole chapter in my, in my book notes from the cosmos on it. And basically what these crop circles are are, are messages for us. They're, they're, uh, we study them, and I also want to say that there's a percentage of those things, in, which may be as high as 20%, that are, that are fraudulent. They're just boguses. I'm sure. But um, the ones that where there's magnetic residues, the ones that we see spiraling yes. uh, reap wheat, um, I went there before they really began. My source told me they were going to come, told me what the patterns would be like, and I went and, uh, and I had a chance to, to explore that uh, England in particular and, uh, and really got to see what I was seeing in vision. Um, the, they're created by, um, if you can imagine, you know, uh, you, you pass over and then you, you, you're a spirit, you're a ghost. And, um, and so most of us might say, you know, okay, I, I see the possibility of that, that after death there is something else. Yes. Well, if you can imagine that, that, that after death, a physical death, there's many levels, and that one of these levels, which the Ethereans tell me is the fifth level of consciousness of the Earth, there's another society that, that, that operates differently than we do, and they're more of, of light beings. And so they create this sphere of light which is able to move through the dimensions, and, the, and this, this little sphere is like a stylus. It moves in and it creates the patterns, and it does it in a matter, literally in a matter of a, a few seconds. Uh, and it's a time shift when it happens, and the messages are pointing to key alignments or times when things are going to happen. It also gives symbols that we might understand. So what they're trying to do is set up a symbolic uh, rapport for us to, to, to see and note this. And the fields were chosen because it, it's, it's grand. It focuses it on a very large scale. And that the, uh, my prediction is three or four years ago said that they would become more complex, going to spirals, going, oh, yes. going into Mendelbrook, uh, going into pyramidal structures. And each stage would take us to the next level. Well, they have certainly done that. All right, he asked about safe zones, and I imagine a lot of people want to know about that. He mentioned Colorado. Um, in my uh, future map of North America or the world, I tried to take a snapshot. This is what I see. Uh, my visions are looking down, looking back at the Earth, from, sure. like you were in a plane at 30,000 feet or maybe you know, even space. And so after seeing these visions hundreds, if not thousands of times, I was able to sketch what I saw from, from space. So it's, it's, it's relative. It's a relative snapshot of it. And so based on that, I, I created what I saw, the map, what, and I went ahead to the future to the year 2020, 2014, 2012, and it backed all the way up. And, and when the visions didn't change anymore, I, I had a time frame, and the frame was 98 to 2012. Um, most, southern Canada, most of southern Canada, with exception around the Great Lakes, um, will fare fairly well, and also the west coast. So we've got to get to the east of the Rockies, Canadian or U.S., away from the Great Lakes, and away, away from uh, Nova Scotia and uh, Newfoundland and, and those areas. So if you look at those regions in Canada, they fare fairly well. Uh, Colorado kind of gets divided. Um, so if we were to look at uh, Fort Collins, for example, east, uh, those areas in there are, are according to my map anyways, 
uh, are more um, right now. There's very little east or the northeast part of Colorado. Yet in the future, uh, it has abundance of water there. I was told that there's an underground aquifer there that has an incredible amount of, of very potent, healthy water. And so I, I see major civilizations developing there. You know, massive. You know, tens of thousands of people flood into that area. Areas like Denver, for example, uh, won't exist. So that is not a good area. So the, the northeast portion or Fort Collins east would be uh, the place in the in uh, Colorado. What about your area, New England? New England uh, gets pretty chopped up. Um, along the Connecticut River, uh, it, it, it returns back to an inland sea. Um, elevations that are over 300 feet uh, throughout uh, central New England. If we were to look at the, the coastlines from Maine, for example, uh, we, we would have to move inland uh, maybe 20, 30 miles um, all the way, gone a line down through Concord, for example. Concord, New Hampshire, for example, becomes a new a new coast. Um, you know, so Rhode Island and most of the the islands like uh, Block Island, uh, Long Island, good portions of New York, all of these things um, go underwater because of, in part, because of the large melt off and the rising ocean levels. You got to remember when when the freeze came during the last pole shift. Uh, that water froze and it was contained, and so the moisture, you know, and that's that's what changed it. But the ocean levels used to be, you know, much more expansive, and it'll return to that. So it's like a cycle of returning. Do you have any idea why the events which were in the more out years have quickened so, so that we're looking now at mere months before we're into the middle of it? I think there are there are there are two things that that happen, and there are and there are things that are happening in the world that are um, that are trying to uh, adjust it. I think um, we did something technologically uh, as far as not only us, but I think uh, we would have to look at Russia, too. Uh, we did something in the 80s uh, with uh, weather research, trying to control weather. And I think we unleashed stuff there that we that probably scared uh, the powers to be, and, and they, they agreed, both the U.S. and Russia agreed to stop it. But there was other, you know, projects that were going on where they were just trying to alter uh, or control. You know, it, it seems to be our destiny to try to control nature instead of, you know, working with nature. Mm. I think these things set into motion things that that uh, move that move faster. I also think that um, the number of um, just a, the pure number of conflicts in the world at any given moment, we've got 40, you know, skirmishes or wars going on in the world. That's right. I think. You know, it's the crescendo. We're, we're building this crescendo. So I think technologically we made mistakes, and I think that consciously we just did not heed the warnings. We just, we all said we want to stop it, but we weren't willing to make the sacrifices to stop it. All right. We might have time for one more. Wild Card Line, you're on the air with Gordon Michael Scallion. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Um, this is Dan in Virginia. Yes, sir. Um, Gordon... The human body is an electrical system. How is this going to affect our uh, uh, the human being as far as um, you know their emotions, uh, their thought patterns, and so forth? Uh, well, so I think you already uh, pretty much covered that, but it's a very good point. We are electrical uh, beings. There's no question about it. And if we have massive failure of electronic equipment, there will be a biological effect as well. Correct. It is correct. It has already begun. The, a lot of the things that you're seeing, uh, uh, in fact, I just wrote in my newsletter this month about it, uh, the effects of the pole shift uh, on health. And one of the things I talk about is the fact that uh, 
conditions such as as manic, manic depressives. We're going to see that off the, uh, you know, and we're going to see that that drugs are no longer going to work for a lot of things that we're trying to control emotions. The biggest thing I see is um, is uh, schizophrenia, paranoia, manic, uh, immune system breakdowns, all kinds of electrical problems. Uh, we're going to see um, especially things like the thymus uh, and pituitary. We're going to see more effects of brain cancer. Uh, we're going to see trouble with optics, the, the optic system. Uh, all of these things are the first major signs, and that's already happening. We're, we're seeing um, part of the breakdown, of course, is because we've, we've ruined our food chain supply system in our atmosphere. But the bigger changes I'm seeing really are electrically motivated. So what, what Dave was saying is absolutely correct, that the electrical body is, uh, is going to detect it. Now, we can adjust. We do have the ability, if we just listen to our own inner guidance of what to eat and what not to eat and how to think, we can adjust, just like a, a, a tree will adjust its bark. All right. Gordon, we are, we are at the end of this hour, and I know that your folks will throw a hissy fit yep, they're, um, if I keep you over. So um, I will get the information after the top of the hour on for your book once again. Uh, in the hours in which people can call. I want to thank you for being with us, and um, we'll do it again sometime. Take care of yourself. Okay, Art. Gordon, thank you. You bet. Bye-bye. Gordon Michael Scallion. And if you get a chance, go to a bookstore and get my book. It's called The Quickening by Art Bell. It tells the story. Good night. Good night.